Skies are back looking like they were last week. It's a little chilly. Yeah, but I think we're finally... I mean, yesterday just was so ugly. I had a heavy frost on my windows this morning. I wouldn't have known what it was like out yesterday. It was lights out for me, boys. Yeah, REM sleep by about noon for Jake yesterday. (laughs) Some would say that started about Mm 8.15. Excuse me? Back to normal? Well, I'd say 80%. Red-eye flights, my patented, trademarked line, red-eye flights are like whiskey. They seemed like a good idea at the time. But I don't know with a red-eye that it's the next day that bothers you. It's the day after that. So today is the, the the day where you really kind of adjust, and then by tomorrow you're good to go. Yeah, I kind of like the whiskey analogy because I think you get about three or four days removed, and you're like, you know what? wasn't that bad. <laughs> I know. You're right. Yeah. That's exactly right. You know, you have the initial, okay, it's a good idea, and then and then you have the hangover idea, and then you're like, this stinks. What was I, you know, that was so stupid. I'm never doing that again. Yeah, and then, you know, three or four days later, you're like, yeah, in six months, I'll do it again. <laughs> That's actually exactly right. I think I do think it's supposed to be a nice day. Oh, beautiful, uh, yeah. Here in Indy and, and hopefully Wednesday and Thursday as well before um, we get back into April showery or at least cooler temps coming up this weekend. Good Tuesday morning to you, Kevin Bowen, Jay Query, and Mark Dykton. Um, Mark, I guess we could maybe throw it to you. Was it WWE last night between the Kings and the Warriors late in that game? Boy, it sure looked like it. I am all in on the Kings. I was waiting for McAfee to come out of the stands there. <laughs> no. Oh my second. God, he's here! It really is a shame that that discourse, and for those that missed it, we'll certainly get into it. Demonte Sabonis and Draymond Green get into it. It's a little reminiscent to me of the reaction after the LSU Iowa national title game. You didn't really celebrate LSU scoring 102 points, setting a national championship record. It was all about Angel Reese and Caitlin Clark. We should be talking about. The Golden State Warriors are down 2-0 for the first time in 27 playoff series. But instead, the conversation will be dominated by Draymond Green and DeMontis Sabonis. Draymond Green did his best Christian Leitner, right? Taking a little stomp on Sabonis. I, you know, Sabonis did kind of twist his leg. I, I mean, there is no doubt about that. And there was probably he a little like acting. like Van Gundy at the bottom of the pile. Very, yes. And... I think Sabonis probably with a little bit of an embellishment, but Draymond Green has to understand, and I'm not going to say anything that probably hasn't been said a gabillion times before, but did Draymond Green get unfairly you know, picked on or whatever last night in that and getting ejected? Perhaps. But you also develop a reputation for yourself. Oh, without question. And he's going to lose that benefit of the doubt now. A thousand times out of a thousand in his career. I mean, that's just the reality of it. But uh, Sacramento, man, I mean, they got a lot of talent, a lot of young talent, and they they have it at the positions that today's NBA you need to have it. And Sabonis is a, a fabulous player. And what Sacramento has done is they used Sabonis as kind of the, the final piece of the cake as opposed to using him as the main ingredient. And it's worked out well for them. Now I'm curious, Kevin, have you gone out and bought an Atlanta Hawks hat yet? Uh oh, yes. I I was at first confused where you were going. Nate McMillan popped into my head, then I'm thinking no Quinn Snyder, but now I guess you're going with Mike Bray, right? Mike Bray. Apparently taking on a role as an assistant coach with the Atlanta Hawks. That sounds awful. You think so? 
uh, NBA assistant sounds like a grind that I would want no part of after just exiting NIL transfer portal college head coach in South Bend, Indiana for two decades. And the Atlanta Hawks of all teams. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, that was a nice jab there, Mark, at the Hawks. Um, I just like, why not live in Florida for a year and just chill? Yeah. Now, by all accounts, him and Quinn Snyder are very close. For those unfamiliar with that relationship, uh, Quinn Snyder initially came to Duke, I think in 87, I believe was his first year as a player there, uh, and and Mike Bray was on the staff. Um, And then when Mike Bray left to go to Delaware in 95, Quinn Snyder took over that assistant job for Mike Bray on Coach K's staff. So that is where their relationship comes from. But, I mean... Jake, you've been close to NBA teams. I mean, an NBA assistant is no joke. You're not half-assing Correct. that I job mean, whatsoever. They're doing a lot of stuff. You could half-ass the head yeah. coach of South Florida and just tell your college assistants to go recruit and you know soak Mark, in the sun. Mark, should we let the record state here that Kevin is determining the value of a job by based on which one he could half-ass more, mm-hmm. yeah. more easily? <laughs> I You're mean, selling think about at it. this one. Think about it. This guy is, what, 65 years old probably? Bray, I don't know, sixty something. I mean, of the of this program, I'm the old one that half asses, right? I mean, <laughs> yeah, I know. I'm, I'm wearing my Jake hat here on this Tuesday morning. I, I'm the Mike Bray of the show here. I mean, I'm not doing any red eye flights, to be quite honest. Uh, does that sound enjoyable to you, Jake? I think that I, point very well taken. I think that an NBA assistant, you kind of check a couple of boxes. Number one, I think for a coach, for a guy who has been a head coach forever, there probably is some relief or some, it's probably nice to take the back seat, right? And let somebody else be the one that is making all of the total decisions and the buck stopping with them first and foremost. And then secondly, um, it still allows you that competitive juice of being around the game, but without, but yes, the, the, the travel and, the nonstop would be a challenge. But Mike Bray also is, and I don't know, does Mike Bray have children? I mean, they're not young yeah. age if, they, if Actually, he does. Actually, one of his son's coaches at IMG is the head football coach at that's IMG, right. you, Kyle Bray. That's right. Mm-hmm. Uh, but again, I mean, he's not raising small children, sure. right? So the sure. travel and that kind of thing, probably a little bit easier than it was, than it would have been if you were you know 30 years old. Uh, 76ers get it done last night. The Nets score 84. Anytime I see 84 points scored in a 2023 NBA game, I'm like, what happened last you're, night? You're curious how many Hubert Davis had? Yeah. <laughs> and we'll get into the Pacers and the coin toss. I guess some good news, some bad news exiting yesterday. We are nine days away from the NFL draft. Greg Doyle is going to join us at 8, Tony East at 9 to talk more. Pacers coin toss. Um, The Jalen Hurts contract extension, probably the biggest news yesterday around the NFL. Was that yesterday that came out? I think it was kind of right after the show. I think that's right. Well, Jake Um, was asleep, so. Yeah. I do think, I don't know how much stock to put into into this, but maybe it's a better question for, for Mark. Mark, have you seen like the gambling odds on some of these draft picks coming up? And as like far the as recent like where, trend, I should say. Where teams are taking them or... Where or, these players are going, potentially. Oh, uh, fill me in. The stock on Will Levis in Vegas is going up, and the stock on C.J. Stroud is going down. Stroud is interesting, Kevin, because did you see the comments yesterday from Adam Schefter 
and I don't know if this is Schefter just covering all bases, but Schefter saying, look, it's entirely possible now that Indianapolis is going to be taking the second quarterback. Gosh, that is, that is amazing. Sitting at four, they could still get the second choice. And is that going to be Stroud? I mean, I would think it. Stroud and Young are the top two. We, we can agree to that, right? Mm-hmm. That that would appear to be the case. But again, some of the Vegas odds are indicating that Stroud might not be the top two. Yeah, like I'm looking at it right now and it, and it says uh, number one overall pick, Bryce Young minus 1,000, CJ Stroud plus 700. So he's the second favorite to go number one. But then if you go to go number two, it goes Will Anderson, Will Levis, Tyree Wilson, and then CJ Stroud. So he's fourth there. This gets back into Well, our, th- I think you made a good point, Kevin, about that. There's something to that yeah, about Houston, right? This gets back into the C.J. Stroud agency, Deshaun Watson situation that I used to think, you know, early April, late March, that the draft started with Arizona at three. It seems like now the draft starts with Houston at two. Like, it's no longer a slam dunk. Houston is going to take a quarterback at two and how they handle that pick whether it is Will Anderson to Mark's point about him being the favorite or I mean just how big of a curveball would it be for Levis it's just does anyone find this amazing that like if you would have if you would have told me Kevin Bowen at midnight on New Year's Eve after watching CJ Stroud do what he did to Georgia and you would have said hey yeah uh, Anthony Richardson and Will Levis might get drafted ahead of C.J. Stroud in April. I would have laughed so hard at you. And now, nine days out, there seems to be a possibility that Will Levis and or Anthony Richardson could get drafted ahead of C.J. Stroud after C.J. Stroud absolutely shredded the best defense in college football in the national semifinal. Now, my thing is this. With Marvin Harrison hurt in that game. And I don't know what it is because I I do love, I think C.J. Stroud's a phenomenal player. And I, I don't like Ohio State, which is all the more reason I didn't like him because he was he gave me no reason to dislike him other than the fact that he played for Ohio State. And I'm like, darn it, because I, I really like this guy. Um, th- there must be something there, though. I'm going to go back to what I've said for a couple of weeks, and that is that I get the feeling that this is a draft with four quarterbacks highly talked about towards the top, not because there are four top quarterbacks available, but because there are teams that are in need of quarterback that are drafting towards the top. And to me, that seems to be supported by the notion, for example, you made a very, very good point about the historical rift between C.J. Stroud's agent and the Houston Texans going back to the Deshaun Watson situation. And that appears to have very, not not just legs, but like Earl Campbell legs. However, if C.J. Stroud was in fact a can't-miss franchise breakthrough, you know, Andrew Luck type talent, you figure that out after the fact. You don't say, well, okay, so that guy's off our board. And I just, I think that there are, again, these four guys, all four, I think probably are eight out of tens, but I think that all of them have enough of that two that makes it not concrete that they go four of the top five picks or whatever. I think each of them, I think teams are starting to talk themselves away from these guys individually, as opposed to talking themselves into them. Yeah. And part of this is probably just the nature of the calendar. 
you know, when you get to whatever, 10 days out. And I mean, the smoke screens are coming, right? Exactly. I mean, this is lying season. Chris Bauer is going to meet, meet the media on Friday. And literally a question that I, I would like to ask Bauer is, how much have you lied? Because I, I think that is a big part of this process, as weird and as you know potentially shady as that sounds. Hell, I would be lying to Jim Mersey if I felt like there was a leak there that could happen. Um, I know it's probably not um, the best work etiquette 101 for someone underneath another person, but that's how I would be handling this process. I do think something to get into a little bit later today. Again, nothing that Ballard has said over the past few months I put much public stock in. Um for obvious reasons. So I think you have to kind of go back into past years when Ballard has talked about quarterback and where the need has not been as clearly pressing in his mind. And I think if you go back a few years, there is a common trait between Ballard and Shane Steichen on the field that is probably the only one I can really find. And I'm curious how much we should be focusing on that um, leading into a week from Thursday. Um, did you do anything fun yesterday? No, it was just so ugly. I'm trying to think. Um, no, picked up Rosie and Max from from school, and that was about it. Rosie's on a big Cinderella kick. We've oh, been that's watching cool. Cinderella a lot. NC State, 83. <sighs> Villanova, yeah. 85. George Mason. Yeah, Florida Gus Atlantic. Johnson, the slipper still fits. Yeah, <laughs> yelling out there. No, I can't say we've watched Lob Dunk City or Lob City or anything like that. Um, and she was very excited because she mixed orange and yellow to get red yesterday when she was painting at school. Now, I can't remember with Cinderella. Refresh my memory. She she goes to the ball, right? Yeah, I'll be honest. I haven't and focused too much on it. And then does she have him. to get back by midnight or something? Yes. Yes, that I, does she, does she I do know it? that. I do know that premise. Barely, the slipper still fits. The 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 uh, the pumpkin starts turning back into a pumpkin. It's not the carriage anymore. Right before she gets home, I do find it interesting that Rosie's so into it, and the quality is still you know ancient by normal. So that so she's watching standards. like she's watching old school. Okay, that's cool. Yeah, so it's a little throwback. For us, but um, yeah, I think today certainly and tomorrow we'll be trying to make the most of getting outside. I still need to mulch the backyard. Front yard we got done. Backyard needs to be mulched. Now I'm curious because so she's watching the original Cinderella, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, Disney Plus. Which of the other when when I was a kid, all of those Disney movies were re-released in the theater. They don't do this anymore, obviously, but Pinocchio and all of those were. Are any of those still around? I mean, I'm, I'm impressed that she's watching that one. Are, are any of the others still like in existence, so to speak? I mean, they're on Disney Plus. Yeah, they, they, nothing goes in the Disney Vault anymore. Remember, they'd like release the yeah. VHS, and then it'd be like, oh, "I gotta get it. It's going back in the vault. It'll be gone." Disney Plus is a must-have. Yeah, you know, okay, especially with kids. One of the movies when I was a kid that that was it was re-released. You know, it would have been probably 30 years after the fact, and now. It's they don't even show it anymore for because of some of the undertones of it. But Song of the South, oh, zippity doodah, right? Yeah, that's never been seen. But do you know that uh, understood? But do you know that in that James Basket, who was in Song of the South, he was one of the the star characters of it. He is from Indianapolis, and his final resting place is in Crown Hill Cemetery. He actually. For playing Remus in Song of the South, he was given an given an honorary Academy Award in 1948 
because he passed away at the age of 44 in 1948, and he is the first African-American Academy Award winner in history. Really? Wow. Indianapolis native, yep. I think he might... Did he go to Tech, maybe? I'm not sure where he went to high school, but nonetheless, there's your little bit of trivia for the day. I did not know that. Uh, Mark, what did you say you did yesterday? I didn't say. I didn't, I didn't do much. We finished up taxes. We, we waited way longer than Man, we normally do. Boy, that's... Today's you know, tax day, right? I know. Yeah. Yeah, we normally... I mean, we, they give you an extra two days and you still couldn't get it done on time? No, we normally get well, it done way ahead of time, time, but, but my, my wife is still getting like W-2 information like late March. We're like, what the heck? Like, how are we just getting this now? So... Uh, finish that up, clean the house. That was another big priority. Get all the toys and whatnot cleaned up. So it's kind of like a, a spring cleaning day since the weather was such garbage outside. Honestly, uh, pretty good day to do it. This from my buddy Crispy, who's an Ohio State fan. As soon as we mentioned C.J. Stroud, and you you had said C.J. Stroud in the Georgia game, right? Yes. Uh huh. Man, I'd forgotten, hadn't thought about it, but Ohio State got completely hosed in that national semifinal with a lack of penalties <laughs> called and the ref screwing them. <laughs> that was such a great game. I wish, I mean, Georgia, I, to his point, it was a hell of a comeback by Georgia there late. I mean, Ohio State was on the brink of, you know, one one or two more first downs, one more score. I mean, didn't I say like all season, I'm like, Ohio State's going to win the whole thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you were, you had them by a couple touchdowns in every game. I mean, I'm still stunned by what, how Notre Dame hung in there for, as long yeah. as they did in that opener. No, they did. Notre Dame, Ohio State this year in South Bend, which I'll be looking That's forward to. That's the opening game, isn't it? Uh, no, it's uh, end of September. Notre Dame's in Dublin to open the season. Hot. Oh, yeah, I shouldn't have said that. <laughs> Come on, Kev. <laughs> I you said Notre Dame Navy. We're heading over to the football game. The Irish are playing. Who are they playing? Navy. Taking on the Navy. Remember when Northwestern beat Nebraska? The park and their boats outside the stadium? Yeah, you know what I mean? That sucked. Was it Nebraska over Northwestern last year in Ireland to start the year? And like for a week, everybody was like, These guys, these car huskers suck. <laughs> there was a lot better back in the 80s. Two hours and 42 <laughs> it was, minutes. It was left. Northwestern <laughs> over Nebraska. And for like one week, you're like, Northwestern's the best team in college football. And that didn't last very long. The Have you been to Dublin? No. Mark? No. No. I think Ireland would be... My whole family's been to Ireland but me. Oh, I can't imagine why. And What's that? They're probably like, we're not bringing him. He's going to do impressions the whole time. Everyone went to me. Um, Shannon wants to go to Ireland, and I'm like, if you're going to fly that long, though, do you really want to just go stuck on... Be stuck in like kind of one place like that? Well, you can eventually fly to Europe, can't you? I, well, it is Europe. I mean... I guess continental Europe. <laughs> Mark, Mark just gave you the biggest side eye of all time. Should have clarified. Uh, I, I know what you mean. I know what you mean. Yeah, I, I think most people would do like an Ireland Scotland combo, right? Go between those two. Um, but Kevin, back to your point about yesterday and the conversation revolving the Colts in the draft. It is. Would you agree that we now are into the point? where it's really difficult to, to, to get a, a firm feel as to what everybody's doing. Like, I'm looking right here at NFL Network, and they're talking about it, and they have the Colts trading with Houston for the two spot. Now, there's no way Houston's going to trade with Indianapolis, right? Yeah, that doesn't make any sense to me. I mean, come on. But, again, part of this is the calendar. Part of this is um, nine days out smokescreen season is alive and well outside of Bryce Young like canceling visits and him pretty much just confirming himself that Carolina has told him he'll go number one I don't think we can really believe 
anything at this point. How big a concern is Bryce Young's size to you? I would take him number one, but I would say his weight more than his height. You know, he has such a knack for keeping his eyes downfield, extending plays. So even if you aren't necessarily of the mindset of like him staying healthy for for a decade, it's more of just does that lack of weight all of a sudden mean he's not the escape artist that he was at Alabama? If you watch, I think a lot of people like watch that Texas game early in the year. It was a really prominent game. He made just some incredible plays late in that game, extending stuff. Um, that that would obviously be the biggest question, but I still think I would take him before anybody else in this class. Who was the okay of the regular starting quarterbacks in the NFL last season? Which one would you guess is the shortest? Uh, probably Russell Wilson, Kyler Murray. Oh yeah, Kyler. Ooh, Kyler Murray. How tall is Kyler Murray? Weren't him and Bryce Young the exact same height and weight? Like 5'10", 207 or yeah, something? Yeah, so I mean... And Again, is height a- isn't as much of an issue for me. It's more of weight. It says he's 5'10". Murray, the, both generous. are listed at 5'10". Yeah, Mur- I think they both had the exact same combine measurements, didn't Murray they? has a much... Thicker body. And more elusive style, right? Yeah. I mean, I don't know. Is Bryce Young as mobile moving around and creating as Kyler Murray? I don't know if he's ripping off like his bigger runs, but I think he's pretty when he needs to be. Well, he's he very can get out of the pocket. Ky, Bryce Young, the thing that he does extremely well, I think, Kevin, is the fact that he's very fluid within the pocket in terms of he can wait until the last possible second he's to got, make his decision, and he's then got he poise. can. Correct, and he can do. Andrew Luck was very good at this. He can slide into different safety nets in the pocket itself as it's collapsing around him. He can slither over and buy himself an extra second by finding an area and then quickly being able to reassess. But you know, whereas Murray just it's tuck and run, and then before you know it, he's gone for forty-five yards. Uh, Tony East will help us explain, or will help explain this a little bit better coming up in the 9 o'clock hour when he joins us. But basically with the coin toss results from yesterday, the Pacers have gotten one extra ping pong ball than the Washington Wizards. So when the lottery gets here in mid-May, the Pacers will have 68 of the 1,000 ping pong balls. So that is a 6.8% chance at the number one overall pick. Uh, they have the seventh most. Um, so basically, to put it in simplest terms, the Pacers will draft one, two, three, or four, or seven, eight, nine, or ten. Man. So yesterday they got good news on the lottery fronts. Might be um, time to do another tankathon coming up. They with, fell with the one news. spot with Cleveland's pick, so they will officially pick twenty sixth with that second first round pick they have. They will pick 29th with the other first-round pick they have. Now, the confusion really comes into play early in the second round. And again, hopefully Tony can clarify this a little bit better. Basically, you have Houston and San Antonio. They both are very high up in the tank standings. What the Pacers want is for the Spurs to get higher in the lottery than the Rockets. If the Spurs are higher than the Rockets come mid-May, that means when the second round rolls around, the Rockets then have the higher pick than San Antonio because they finished the season with the same record. And if that happens, the Pacers would then get the 32nd pick, 
If that does not happen, and you have the Rockets higher than the Spurs in the first round, then the Pacers would get the 50th pick. Very confusing, but an 18-pick differential there, depending on how That's a pretty Houston big and San Antonio appear in the lottery and Kevin, standings. I think it's safe to say it's entirely possible that difference of 18 picks does not impact necessarily a player that the Pacers would be drafting there as much as the return they might get in flipping that pick elsewhere. Yeah, I think that's a good point. And we know that Kevin Pritchard, I mean, said it with us last week, that they have five picks. They also have the 50th pick, uh, their own second rounder, the Pacers do. Um, But they will not be drafting five guys. They will be packaging some of this over the next couple of months. Um, I did see in Pacers history... Again, they have the 26th pick and the 29th pick. If you want to look at some names the Pacers have drafted with those selections, Miles Plumley and David Harrison. Okay. You know, David Harrison actually was not a terrible pick. because Well, when you wh- compare him to Miles Plumley, yeah. And for where they were drafting him, you know, he was a serviceable player, right? I mean, it, it's not like they just – I mean, he ended up being a starter for them. I mean, he drafted at that position. A starter on what type of teams? Well, understood, but I mean – my point being, it's not like he was just a guy that... In other words, I always say this, Kevin. Who else could they have had? What year was that? Um, oh, boy. 2000 and... Well, I'm guessing here. Three or four? That sound right? Okay, I'm looking it up right now. Because this that becomes, to me, I always say, whenever it, whenever you critique a pick... Oftentimes, probably fairly, I don't mean you personally, I'm just saying we in general. Then you look at, okay, but who did they pass on that they could have taken? And there are always, you know, a player or two, but it's not necessarily like the slam dunk obvious that one would assume. David Harrison, by the way, was taken in the 20... A 2004 draft. He was the 29th overall pick, okay? So here's who was available immediately following him. Uh, Anderson, I always forget how to say his Vergeau. last name. Oh, Vergeau. He would have been a, definitely a better pick. Uh, Jackson, Vroman, Peter Ramos, Lionel Chalmers, Dante Smith, Andre Emmett, Antonio Burks, Royal Ivy, Chris Duhon, Justin Reed. Yeah, Vergeau was a good player. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, Harrison obviously didn't last in the league very long, but... Um, so yeah, 26-29, and then right now, 7th in the lottery standings. We'll have Tony East explain a little bit more as the Pacers are less than a month away from the lottery here for the offseason that needs to involve another major piece, and I think on the defensive side of the floor. It is a beautiful start to this Tuesday. Yes, a little bit chilly, um, but it is supposed to be a pretty nice temperature uh, today, tomorrow, and Thursday as well. Kevin Bowen, Jake Quarry, Mark Dykton right here on 93.5, 107.5 The Fan. The Morning Checkdown. Omaha! 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 On 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Alright, we'll begin with the association that would be the National Basketball Association. Last night, starting in the East, Philly over the Brooklyn Nets 96-84. 76ers lead that series two games love. Tyrese Maxey, who's a really good player that not a lot of people talk about with 33 for Philly. Joel Embiid 20-19. and And then in the West, it was Sacramento 114-106 over Golden State. Kings lead two games 
to nothing. Domas Sabonis, De'Aaron Fox, 24 each. Malik Monk, 18. Kevin, reality is Sacramento is young and exciting. Golden State has Draymond Green, who is a very good player, but also a ticking time bomb. Uh, I don't want to see, well, I think it's probably Draymond more than Domas. I don't want to see any suspension for Game 3. You think there will be? No, and I'll tell you why. Because for those that are unfamiliar with it, Draymond Green was ejected from the game after a, a slight tussle with Sabonis. They'd kind of had some issue underneath where he pulled the Christian Leitner and did a quick stomp on Sabonis's chest. Uh, Sabonis then kind of acted like, you know, he had, like had been pulverized by nine Wolverines. But Draymond Green... Domas did grab his leg first, which I didn't mention. I, I think Green was almost reacting to the fact that Sabonis kind of twisted his leg, to be honest with you. So uh, Sabonis a little bit of an instigator. But you also, if there's one player that you know to instigate because you never know when they might snap and everything unravels, it's Draymond Green, yeah, right? without question. The Warriors down 2-0 in a playoff series for the first time in 27 straight series. Tonight, we'll have three games. Hawks, Celtics at 7, Knicks, Cavs at 7.30, and the Clippers trying to go up 2-0 on the road. They take on the Suns at 10 o'clock. Oh, go ahead. Last night, Major League Baseball. How about the Red Legs beating the fighting Trisha Whitakers? I did not like to see Hunter Green leave the game after getting hit by a hard grounder back at the middle, but it looks like everything okay on that front. Rays dropped three of four now. Yes, they have. Crazy. Uh, 8-1. The Reds win that one. Um, The Cardinals lost 6-3. That's unfortunate. We had a couple postponements (laughs) here locally. And then... I feel like Mark, you should be appreciative. Like I, I picked the most charitable team in Major League Baseball to root for this year, and that yes. would be the Oakland A's. Mm-hmm. What was your motivation in taking the Athletics? For those that didn't hear it, when the season began, we took all of the teams who had a Vegas over under of a of a number that was below five hundred, and so Mark took it with the deal being that the winner gets a six pack of PBR. Mark went with the Arizona Diamondbacks. I went with cute fellow of the Baltimore Orioles. And then what was your motivation in taking the Oakland Athletics? Yeah, I, um, <laughs> I've got a friend of a friend that plays for the Oakland Athletics. Not going to act like I'm super close with the individual. but um, And really, to be honest with you, I probably didn't put a whole lot of stock into like, oh, let's invest the uh, win-loss over-unders on these teams. They, historically, this is kind of what the A's do every year. And then all of a sudden, in like late August, early September, they win like 19 of 20 and put themselves they in position. They sneak up on people. They do. Honestly, though, they do every year, right? 3 and 15, is that the start to the year? 3 and 14, 3 I and 14, yeah. well, I'm just chalking up another one. <laughs> so congrats to your Cubs on uh, the win. Locally, by the way, Guardians, Tigers, and Phillies, White Sox both postponed. They play doubleheaders today. There you go. Uh, Indians in Memphis this week. We'll be back at home next week. All right, yesterday, Jalen Hurts, big contract extension. I think there are some implications on the Colts' front of that, and the reason why Colts fans, I think, should be excited heading into next Thursday kind of plays off of that. Uh, We'll chat about that next. Greg Doyle, 8 o'clock, Tony East at 9. Really nice start to this Tuesday here in Indy. It is absolutely gorgeous out on a Tuesday. Good morning to you. My name is Jake Quarry. Kevin Bowen here as well. Mark Dykton running the controls for us. It is Kevin and Quarry on 93.5, 107.5 The Fan. We are very pleased that you choose to spend part of your morning with us. The big news yesterday happened just about 21 hours ago. I think it was announced. Jalen Hurts, 
the 24-year-old quarterback of the Philadelphia Eagles, a $255 million five-year contract that makes him the player with the highest annual earnings in NFL history. And I think I saw something like 171 of that is guaranteed. One would assume, Kevin, that no one was more excited to hear that news than a handful of guys such as Joe Burrow, Trevor Lawrence, Justin Herbert, because not to say they are better players than Jalen Hurts, but they're all kind of in that intermixable hopper, and they're going to get paid big time. But you were saying you think this might have some implications for the Colts as well. Well, you know, for the past couple of days, Jake, I've been saying I think a reason why I'm optimistic about the Colts and making a quarterback selection next Thursday just comes from Shane Steichen more than anything, more so than these players itself. I I am a big, big believer in Shane Steichen's quarterback history, and I think maybe over the past few months we've forgotten the sort of impact and where Shane Steichen, you know, came to Philadelphia. In Jalen Hurts' career. You know, Hurts was drafted in the second round in 2020. At that point, Steichen was still uh, with the Chargers, with Justin Herbert. And, you know, we should probably mention Justin Herbert's rookie season was a COVID offseason, so limited time. Justin Herbert was not supposed to be the Chargers starter. That was Tyrod Taylor. I think we recall the crazy, you know, injection that Tyrod Taylor got, and it went wrong, and all of a sudden he couldn't play, and Herbert was thrown into the fire, and had an unbelievable rookie season. Offensive rookie of the year, most touchdowns for any rookie in league history. Uh, The Chargers staff gets fired, so Steichen moves on. Nick Sirianni hires him to be the offensive coordinator in Philly, and Jalen Hurts' rookie season, before Steichen got there, four starts, and was a 52% passer. So, not eye-popping whatsoever. Shane Steichen... Comes in there. Hertz has a very nice rookie season. They're a surprise team that makes the playoffs. And then in year two, we all saw what happened this past year where Hertz, in my mind, should have been a little bit more of a legit MVP candidate than the voting process played out. But obviously, led his team to the Super Bowl and almost won the Super Bowl. Um, so to me, it just kind of further reinforces why I think Colts fans should have belief. You know, obviously the contract. And that news headline coming out yesterday is a reason why I think it's worth mentioning. But it's not like Jalen Hurts was a top 30 pick, top 40 pick. It's not like he had some great rookie season or even a good rookie season before Shane Steichen got there. But yet when Steichen got to Philly, became the play caller midway through, um, Hurts' second season, things changed, things clicked. That's why I feel like Colts fans should have some optimism about this draft selection. I I think the thing that Philly did really well with Jalen Hurts – and maybe this really supports, you know, to be honest with you, you're looking for any indication as to whether or, or not, and again, I'm going to go back to, let's assume it's Richardson-Levis that they're going to have to choose from. And we can get into the Stroud stuff in a second. But if it's between those two and you say, okay, well, you know, Hurts, they really utilized his legs to open him up as a quarterback. And so then you think, okay, Richardson then would be the more likely guy. But Kevin Levis can run too. I mean, Levis, especially in his junior year, did show, you know, he's got some sure. some ability as well there. So 
every time you're looking for something that leans for one player or the other between those two guys, something else pops up and you're like, oh man, you know, is it for you, they both have the same feature, you know, that kind of thing. And, and I've always said this when it comes to like a running quarterback, Jake. To me, I don't think a team needs a running quarterback. I think you need a quarterback capable of extending some plays. And when you're not accounted for on a third and seven and you roll out of the pocket, do you have the athleticism to go and get to the sticks, to go and extend a drive, uh, keep a play alive for a little bit longer? I mean, I don't think anybody views Kenny Pickett as some dual-threat quarterback, but I remember when you know the Steelers played the Colts here a little bit later in the season in, in prime time, Pickett made some big plays late in that game and, and kind of sealing it for Pittsburgh and just simply – his legs getting out of the pocket, extending for a little bit longer. And I think all four of these quarterbacks coming out this year have some degree of that. I do think, Jake, when you look back at that 2020 draft, I think Chris Ballard has a little regret over this. That 2020 draft, Joe Burrow won, Tua 5, Justin Herbert 6. Obviously, we're still waiting to see on Jordan Love. He went 26. And then Jalen Hurts 53. That's going to be viewed, I think, in about five years as one of the better quarterback drafts that we've seen in yeah. quite some time. I mean, you could make the argument it already is, considering what Burrow and Hurts have done. Herbert, obviously, has gotten his team to the playoffs. You know, Tua, it's a lot more of a health situation. If you recall, the Colts went into that draft with the 13th overall pick, and that was right after Andrew Luck retired. And this is where Chris Boward and I have differed on this thought process. To me... Jake, as soon as Luck retires, I mean, we're talking the day after he shocks the world, if I'm Ballard, I'm bringing all the scouts into the building and saying, guys, we've got to do everything we can to find the next quarterback as soon as possible. As soon as possible. We can't wait. We can't delay it. And they decided to go the Phillip Rivers route and not then bolster that with a young quarterback pick early on. They picked Jacob Eason that year, obviously in the fourth round, so it was quite some time to wait. But that opportunity, when you're sitting there at 13, you could go one of two ways. You can either try and trade up to three or four and get ahead of Miami and then San Diego in drafting Tua or Herbert, or again, take a chance on Jordan Love, take a chance on Jalen Hurts a little bit later in that first round. But I think that is the big missed opportunity when you look at these past drafts. You know, Andrew Luck, and I mean, it's such a an exhausted topic of like, Andrew Luck walked out on his team and it put them in a bad situation. I mean, how long did the Colts use that excuse? Or fans for the Colts, I guess I should say. But the reality is this, Kevin, to your point, tell me if you agree with this. Andrew Luck decided that he wanted to get divorced from the Colts, which I have no problem with it. I totally understand his line of thought. But on his way out the door in the divorce, he grabbed the credit card and he maxed it out. And the Colts have tried to handle that for ever since by simply making the minimum monthly payment and never worrying about the interest that was accumulating in totally pushing in to pay off the balance. And then they put themselves in a situation where they're like, well, now we've got a maxed out card that the interest has accumulated and we owe even more. It's just It just kept getting worse and getting worse and getting worse. Now, maybe, yes, Carson Wentz was the guy. I do think that they thought they just 
it's unfair to say that they never fully addressed the long-term quarterback solution because I think they eventually did. They just picked the wrong guy. But, like, when does that ever work? When does taking the team's cast off ever turn into your long-term answer right. at quarterback? Yeah, that's fair. I mean, that's... And Philly told you everything you needed to know. I mean, Philly drafted Jalen Hurts well before Carson Wentz had that disaster of a 2020 season. Um, that, to me, is just bad read of the Carson room. Carson Wentz play again? Where, like, who, who does he play for? The next completed pass that Carson Wentz throws as a National Football League quarterback comes for what team? It has to be a completed pass. <laughs> oh, Mark. <laughs> well, I'm just asking. Uh, that caveat let's go on. Let's go the Tampa Bay Bucks. Okay. Say he takes the year off from football. Has one of those big old workouts this time next offseason. You know, lets the disdain of Carson Wentz start to, you know, maybe quiet down. Looks great in a workout setting, and boom, somebody takes a chance on him. I'm going to say, and I'm not even certain, Jameis Winston re-signed in New Orleans as the backup, right? Yeah, the backup to Derek Carr. Yeah, I mean, but... But he is still there, right? I believe so, yeah. Because that would, you know, I could see Carson Wentz going somewhere as like a backup somewhere. I, Boy, I don't think he's got the ego to be a backup. Is he going to have a choice? I'll say yeah. the Las Vegas Raiders. That's not Jimmy a bad Jimmy G's call. health is always a question mark. That could happen, and then Carson Wentz gets signed. I still cannot believe the commanders traded for Carson Wentz. The Colts would have literally cut him one week after that trade. Yeah, they were over him, weren't they? No, the, they were done. I mean, the, he would have been cut. The Colts the would have owner, taken the cap hit. The owner in particular, and I'm not sure that was Ballard, Kevin. I think – I don't know that Jim Irsay has necessarily ever given, like, ultimatums per se, but I think that might have even been an ultimatum, don't you think? Okay. Listen, this guy's not – we're not playing with this guy. Yeah. Uh-huh, 1,000%. Of all the dumb things the Commanders franchise did under Daniel Snyder, trading for Carson Wentz, I think, is atop the list. When everything the Colts told you said, oh, yeah, we're going to eventually cut him, just wait. Oh, no, we'll give you a third-round pick, and we'll take on his money. A dream scenario for the Colts. <laughs> I'm still trying to figure out where Does Carson, Carson Wentz, Wentz ever play again? That, that's also a good question. Hell, he lives here. We could probably go find him right now. Yeah, maybe. I mean, it's probably a you know coaching softball in the Whitestown Little League here in a few years, probably. I mean, Whitestown's booming, isn't it? I don't know that I've ever heard that he's a bad guy. He's just odd, right? No, and I know he's still very close with several of his teammates. I mean, kind of. I mean, I think Ryan Kelly, I think Leonard Buckner, I, I think them are. Uh, they still have a close re- close relationship from a family standpoint, and. I mean, I think a lot of people yeah, know from a foundation standpoint, you know, what he does with, with his food trucks. I mean, great job from a philanthropic standpoint. Just not a very good quarterback. Okay, I'll give you two here. I would say the Denver Broncos, but I mean, they're going to they're gonna give Russell Wilson every chance again to, to right that ship. How about this one? How about the next time we see Carson Wentz under center? the chances of it are solidified when, shockingly, this franchise does not take a quarterback and kicks it down the can, 
kicks that can down the road for another year, and he signs with the Houston Texans. God, for some weird reason, I thought you were going to say he was going to come back to the Colts. No. I was like, unless the Indiana Firebirds have a resurrection, I can't see Carson Wentz playing again here in the state. <laughs> I know uh, that- the Texans? Yeah. Sure. I mean, granted, did the Texans have the guy that they would just go ahead and, and ride out for another year with? Again, I just don't think he fits at all what you want in a backup quarterback. Well, but I'm saying, does, does Davis Mills become your backup and they sign Carson Wentz? So they don't draft one. Carson Wentz is their starter and Davis Mills is their backup? Yeah, and then a year oh, from now they draft oh, a quarterback. Oh, gosh. That just sounds awful. Sounds familiar, too, doesn't it? <laughs> Greg Doyle joins us next here. Kevin Aquare. Eight o'clock hour underway in Indianapolis, and it is a gorgeous-looking start to the Tuesday. Hope you are able to get out and enjoy it. It's going to be a little warmer later today, kind of brisk, but a good start nonetheless. Kevin Aquare here on 93.5-1075, the fan. Joining us now on the Payless Liquors Hotline, you read him at the Indianapolis Star, and you kind of never know what it is that week that either he is featuring as a feel-good story or that might have just got him up on the wrong side of the bed from day to day with Greg Doyle, which is what makes his column always interesting. He joins us now. Greg, good morning to you. How are you? I'm good. I'm on the right side of the bed this morning. I'm in a, I'm in a great mood, and I got, I got all kinds of news to announce. Actually, I have one bit of news to announce that's not really newsy, but we'll talk about that later. What, what, what can we talk about first? Uh, you know, wow. I, that came off the wrong way. What I meant by that, Greg, was um, you never know what in the sports world might have rubbed you the wrong way. That was probably a better oh, no. way of saying that. Heck no. I like it. I, you, I wake, if I wake up in a bad mood, I take it out on somebody. Um, uh, and it's, I try to be fair about it. But yeah, if I wake up, it, it's, I've learned this about, about me. And, um, you know, I'm old enough to finally learn some things about me is that my happiness or lack thereof comes out in my writing. So if you ever see me like write five or six angry columns in a row, first of all, hopefully they're all going to be fair. The question is, am I drawn to things that let me tee off on somebody or am I drawn to things that let me love on somebody? If I'm teeing off on people, that means I'm probably not very happy. If I'm loving on people, I'm probably pretty happy. So that's just kind of a little little insider for you on me. Greg, in terms of the Colts sitting at number four in the draft, is this going to fall exactly into favor for them? And I'll give them credit for not immediately knee-jerking and trying to move uh, too aggressively into the left lane while they're sitting in traffic. But is everything going to fall into place for them at number four? No, no, because nothing ever falls into place for them. Uh, until something falls into place for the Colts, I'm going to assume it's never going to fall into place for the Colts. They because And really – I can see if fans in other cities might be rolling their eyes to this, they're listening because everything fell into their place for years. I mean, Peyton Manning fell into their lap. Andrew Luck fell into their lap. I just think, you know, it's like flipping a coin. You only get heads or tails, whatever you prefer. You only get it so many times. And the Colts, they got heads a couple times, and now they're getting their ass kicked. They're getting tails. They're getting, if I can say that. So, no, do I think they're going to get heads again? No, no, nothing's going to fall their way because it's the Colts, and, and we can't have nice things around here. It's Greg Doyle from the Indianapolis Star. He's with us here on the Payless Liquors Hotline. Greg, I had the fortune of sitting next to you when Shane Steichen met the media last Wednesday. It was probably our, I don't know, third time maybe in a Steichen press conference setting. Um, he's a pretty unique individual. Uh, what are your um, What are your impressions of him? <laughs> I thought you were going to out me and say what I said to you. Um, and I'm not sure exactly what I said to you, and you might remember it, but I, uh, let me say it this way. He was in the middle of talking at one point, and I leaned over and said, 
something along the lines of he and I are going to butt heads this year. Um, and I think I may have said something a little bit different, but what I meant to say to you was this guy and I, we're going to go head to head a few times because my first impression, and, and that's fine. Listen, I like to, as it relates to the news, I have to announce later. Um, and it's not news. I'm teasing, but I do have something to say. Uh, I like fighting. I like sparring. I like competing. I like it. I like verbally jousting with people. I love it. Some people think, oh, you're so mean and you're so this, and how can you say the Colts aren't going to get, it's going to fall in their favor, pick four, and if you want happy-go-lucky, rah-rah, bullcrap, then there are people out there that will tell you what you want to hear, and that's not me. But I will like very much jousting with Shane if he even cares enough to joust. The truth is, he is so all-ball. Like, people say he's all-ball. And you hear that, and you think, "Yeah, well, you say that about everybody." No, no, I've, he's 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 all. I'm sure he's all dad when he's home. I'm sure he's all dad. I'm sure he's all girl dad. I'm sure he's all that. But man, when he's at the facility, you can tell he doesn't care about anything. He doesn't care about anything. And he also though has some Belichick in him. In that, he doesn't want to share anything he doesn't have to share. Like he he's not he's not there. And Colts fans might love this about him. He's not there to make us happy. He's not He's not there to help the media do his job. And I don't mean he's a bad guy about it. I don't mean he's he's hiding things. I just mean he's just he's there for football. And asking football questions, he'll tell you what he what he wants to tell you. And if he doesn't want to tell you stuff, he's going to say, yeah, I'm not going to get into that. He doesn't strike me a as a jouster, Greg. Excuse me? He doesn't strike me as a jouster, unlike yourself. Well, and the reason, that's why I say I'm not sure, I'm not actually sure it'll happen because I'm not sure he's going to care enough to joust. Because, but but I'm going to have to go after him a few times because he's not going to say some stuff. And, and you know, and people around here they get upset about the Colts not being transparent enough about this injury, that injury, and he's already starting that with Darius Leonard. Like I, I asked him, I asked him. Somebody needed to, and somebody would have, but I got to it first. You know, how is Darius, and you know what what on earth is going on with Darius? And he said, yeah, he's progressing, but I'm not really going to get into that. Well, oh, you really? should ask him how Shaquille is. Maybe he'll be more transparent. I did say Shaquille, actually. You know what? I said, how's Darius? And then I corrected myself and said Shaquille. And then he said Darius is, and then he said, oh, yeah, Shaquille is progressing well, but I'm not going to get into that. I'm not going to put a timeline on that. It's April. I didn't want a timeline, but but to say that you're not going to put a timeline on it, now all of a sudden, now you're making me think he's not. Greg, would you agree they've got to have a timeline on it, though? Because at some point, they're going to have to know whether, because he is too critical a piece for them, not just statistically, but I think just of how things play off of him, that they're going to have to, at some point, have a definitive idea of which way the stream is moving around that boulder. Don't you agree? Well, yeah, for sure. And for a lot of reasons, including, I, I believe, he's got the biggest contract on the team now. I think that's right. So, yeah, you, uh, it, it's way too early in Shane Steichen's career to say, I'm not going to put a time, timeline on. How about just answer the question and say, yeah, we expect, I mean, I don't know. All I'm saying is, and, he, and I said this to Kevin during that press conference, that like five different times he said, yeah, I'm not going to get too much into that. And I heard for about the fifth time I heard him say that, and that's how I leaned over to Kevin and said, he and I are going to have to get, at, get after a few times. Because I just, enough. I, I, we've had Pagano saying nothing. We've had Reich in his own way tr- trying to say something and making us happy without saying anything. Um, I'm just tired of coaches not wanting to tell us anything. And, and, and on the one hand, Colts fans don't like it when they're not transparent. On the other hand, they don't like it when someone like me tries to make it transparent. So you can't win, so hell, hell with it. Go down trying. You know, Greg, it's interesting to me. Greg Doyle's our guest on the Payless Zickers Hotline. I've kind of gone back and forth with this internally when it comes to athletes, coaches, and like our jobs. 
Because our jobs partially are to critique them, not even partially. I mean, to a great extent, my job is to opine on, and that typically means critique the job of a coach or a player. But if I ask a question, you know, yesterday we had Purdue's new head football coach on. I asked a dumb question. I I didn't think it through. I was half asleep because I came in on the red. I asked a dumb question. And if he would have said, that's a stupid question – he would have been then. Then he would have been critiquing me, and I probably would have been. We would have thought like, "What a jerk!" But isn't turnabout fair play? Isn't it fair for question for for athletes or coaches to at times spar back to us? By all means, and I, and I wish they would, because um, otherwise you almost feel like a bully. I, I don't want it to be a pinata situation where you're sitting up there and we get to swing it, swing at you, and all you get to do is, is break open and drop candy for us. You know if swing back uh it's all it's all fair it's all fun for some of us anyway and and so yeah by all means and and nobody asks dumber questions than me i i'm i'm uh if i'm well known for any one thing it's for i'm the guy that asks questions in a really weird way and sometimes it comes out dumb uh the answers typically are pretty good but i blurt things out in ways that i haven't really thought about maybe like what you blurted out to coach walters i'm not sure but dumb questions come and let's see what happens next it's Greg Dola for the Indianapolis Star. He's with us here on the Payless Liquors Hotline. Greg, I'm kind of curious what this news is that, that you want to chat about. <laughs> um, it's news only to me, but um, I've been recruited. I've been invited uh, to to fight in a boxing. I, I joined a boxing gym on the north side. It's called Big Walk Boxing. Uh, Anthony Walker played for the Colts back in the early 90s. He was a linebacker. And he's not related to the Anthony Walker that played for the Colts. You know, five years ago. I was going to uh, say, anyway, geez. Yeah, not him. And he's Anthony Walker Sr., but he's not. His son is Tony Little Walk, and he goes to uh, Pike. He's a senior. He's a boxer himself. Anyway, um, I, I joined that gym a few weeks ago because I just moved up here to the north side a few weeks ago. And he saw me hitting the bag and said, we're, we're fighting some other gym in June, June 15th, I think, somewhere downtown. Would you like to, you know, if we can find someone your age and weight class, would you fight with us? And I'm like, hell yeah. So I got, I'm, I'm going to get back in the ring um, if, if they can find someone my age, which ain't easy. Uh, you got to be within 10 years. I'm in the master's division. You got to be within 10 years and 10 pounds uh, either way. So ho- I hopefully I get to do that. So you, you said back in the ring, Greg. I know that you have recreationally boxed like from a fitness standpoint. Pardon my naivete here. Do you have a history as an amateur competitive boxer? Yeah. Yeah, I I I was. 4-0. I fought four times amateur in Cincinnati. 4-0, three knockouts. Thank you very much. All between ages 35 and about 40. And then I came here and I kind of thought I was done. I mean, I'm, I, I was older. And then, But then Rocksteady Boxing, which is a great gym, non-combat gym for Parkinson's patients. It, it works. It works wonders. They had a fundraiser about eight, nine years ago, and they had some boxing, and they wanted a headliner, and they got Chris Lytle, the former UFC guy and local, to fight as a, in, a, in the headliner event, and they asked me to fight him. And so I fought Chris Lytle, and he drilled me for three rounds. And so I'm now 4-1 and one with three knockouts. Thank you very much. Greg, I absolutely, to me, the sport of boxing is such a, there's a level of nostalgia to it, and I've always been, I, I have wanted so badly, you know, I'm probably, and you and I are basically in the same age range, you know, in my high school and college years, boxing was still a really big thing. I mean, you had Tyson and Lewis and Holofield and, and Spinks and Holmes and, you know, all those guys, right? 
and and I know that UFC has has to a great extent taken over that a little bit, but I still think there is such a magic to watching boxing. Like for example, uh, coming up, I think actually it's this weekend. You've got upcoming, you know, the finals for it's actually Thursday night. Thursday night at Tyndall Armory, the Indiana Golden Gloves getting underway at six o'clock. Fights start at seven o'clock. There are a few things to me that are more just natural in sport than two people in a boxing ring. I think it has a magic to it, and I, I would well, assume you agree. Yeah, it strips away everything else. It's um, in a way like tennis does. It's just you against somebody else, but but there's really no equipment and and it's not about money. You don't have to be able to travel and get the best coaching and, and you know, play other juniors around the country. I mean, it's just two people. You, you, you're in your gym hitting the bag and I'm in my gym hitting the bag and, and it kind of can keep you, if you're competing, it keeps you going. Like someone's out there, they're hitting the bag right now. I don't know who they are. They're, they're going to hit me in about two months, so I better be ready. But then watching these guys just get out there and with nothing else they you know they have an entourage but then the entourage leaves and it's just you and him and and the place smells like like cigar smoke sometimes or whatever but it is beautiful you know the UFC has completely bitten into boxing in terms of the popularity and the, and the you know there's a lot more UFC fighters that people can name I think than boxing and yet boxing is the one that a big boxing fight a big one break you know that's the one that has the pay-per-view just Tons of money. UFC fights, even the big ones, they make money. They do okay. But nothing sells like a big boxing fight, and yet UFC is a lot more popular below that level, if that makes sense. By the way, Tyndall Armory, Thursday night, doors opening at 6, fights starting at 7 for the Indiana Golden Gloves. Craig, I think um, a few of uh, your followers have joined that um, that uh, boxing community that you're going to fight on June 15th, looking to maybe get a shot at you or two. Are, are they being on Twitter being mean, or what are they? I don't know what you're talking about. Well, I'm saying that, you know, maybe a few that have read some of your work and disagree with some things would like to get a shot or two in at you. Would you would you, know, would you welcome that? Oh, yeah, this has actually happened before. I've, I've done this before. Uh, when I was at CBS, and, and I wrote, like, the thing is, people around here have no idea. that, that, that People, we're soft. This is a soft place. This is a soft, and I love it here. Listen, this is, and I've evolved. I've become softer. I love Indianapolis. But this is a soft market. People think I'm a bad guy. Go to Philadelphia. Spend a week there. You know, I'm like, I'm Mr. Rogers compared to what's out there. But, okay, I'm the big bad wolf around here. I get it. But but we're soft. When I was in Cincinnati, and I was not soft, and I was a jerk. I mean, I was not nice the way I wrote. An Ohio State fan didn't like what I wrote about his school. I, I think I called it the Ohio State business venture. But, you know, not the Ohio State University. Because they were, they were cheating, and Jim Trestle didn't care. And so I ripped him, and this Ohio State fan threatened me and i said well if you're really tough i spar twice a week and here's a gym and it costs 20 bucks but i'll leave a 20 at the door if you show up the guy showed up and put on gloves and and we we sparred but it was i mean it was at that point it was fun it was almost it was admirable like wow you and he had no the best part was he had no idea what he was doing i mean he drove all the way from columbus put on gloves and got in the ring with me trying to punch me in the face was he cool and it, well, it, it, yes, it was great because at that point, I think we were both on like, this is, I'm impressed he showed up. He's impressed with himself that he showed up and we sparred and the way boxing works and the way Chris Lytle has always treated me because he and I sparred several times, the better person carries the lesser person. You know, it's almost like a, like a, a dog 
will let a puppy play with it, but if the puppy bites a little bit too hard, the, the bigger dog will smack it. Like, no, 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 puppy, you leave me alone there. I said, you're, don't go too far. Lytle has always done that to me, and I did that to this guy, and it was, it was great. Greg, so anyway, the point is, point is, you got people on Twitter now saying they want a piece. Sure you do. Oh, of course you do. Then show up. Big walk boxing, let's, let's do this. I'm not, uh, not going to be the big dog. Like, that, that guy Columbus was nice, and he, he, was, he realized, this is ridiculous, I came here to punch you, and it was kind of funny, but I don't have to- patience anymore for, for tough Twitter people. Like, because they think people like me, oh, you think you're tough? No, I just do what I do. If you think I think I'm tough, that's on you. But don't, don't, don't tweet me and say, I'm going to fight you. No, you won't. Shut up. Like, no, you won't. Shut up. Greg, this time next year, are we talking about the Pacers in an actual playoff series? Yeah, yeah, I think so. I, I think this offseason is going to be really exciting. They've got a bunch of draft picks. None of them are terribly high, but you know, the pay, unlike the Colts, nothing's going to fall right for them. Like they're they're not going to get Stroud or, or Bryce Young, and 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 maybe they'll luck into something. You know, maybe Anthony, uh, I'm sorry, Hinton Hooker or Anthony Richardson will turn out to be something special. Maybe they will. They they could. The Pacers are due. You know, they're they're so due, and it really wouldn't surprise me. It just wouldn't. If they won the lottery, it just wouldn't. They're just due. You know, there's only so many times you can flip a coin and get tails. You know, they're due heads. 6.9% chance. What, nine? 6.9% chance. Yeah, you know, I was thinking about it. We, we wanted them. I wanted them. To, people wanted them to, to tank for, for Wimbanyama. And even if you tank and finish 28th, 29th to 32nd in the NBA, you only have a 14% chance. Now, you do have a really good chance, like 50% chance of getting a top-four pick, but you only have 14 at Wimbledon. So the Pacers have the eighth-best record, and they have almost half that chance right now. So it, it really doesn't pay that much to tank if you're looking for that one pick, because once you're between 7% and 14%, either way, it's, it's, you're hoping lightning strikes and hits you in a good way, and the Pacers are due. Greg, last thing from me, and Kevin and I were talking about this earlier, it's probably dangerous to get caught up in – you know hypotheticals with the NFL draft because there's so much smoke that that goes out there and there's you know you just never know but I'm going to present a hypothetical if in fact if in fact Houston and whoever is selecting at three and let's say it's still Arizona if both of those teams decide to wait another year before selecting a quarterback and the Colts are sitting there with their choice of three between Stroud, Levis, and Richardson, which one do you believe they select? Stroud. I think Stroud, you know, I, I, and I'm not a scout. I've not studied the tape, so I don't want to pretend that, yeah, well, I mean, I can, I can say out loud what people say about Bryce Young and his poise and his, you know, I, can, I know what people say about everybody. I don't happen to have first-hand knowledge of any of it besides highlights, and they all look good in highlights. But based on just the numbers, based on, you know, the numbers, based on the body sizes, Based on listening to all these guys at the Combine, the way they talked, the way they carried themselves, I like C.J. Stroud the best of all of them anyway. Uh, so if I was – and again, I'm not, I've not been breaking on tape, so if I'm wrong, I'm wrong. But I'd be hard-pressed. I'd need to study it a lot more. But if I had the number one pick, I'd be hard-pressed not to take C.J. Stroud. See, I'm, I'm with you. I, I think he's wonderful. I, I mean, I thought he was – Watching C.J. Stroud at Ohio State, to me, Greg, and maybe it's accentuated by the fact that I can't stand Ohio State, so I don't want to see them do well, so it's magnified when they do, which is all the time. Uh, He was like watching, to me, a a pinball machine. I mean, it was like, offensively, he just was totally in control. I thought he was an unbelievable talent last year. 
Yeah, and I love the way he talked. You know, there's a lot of things about being a quarterback where you've got to be a leader, too. It's just got to work that way. Like Josh Rosen um, has all the skill in the world, I, I suspect, but, but nobody likes him. And so he's almost out of the, out of the NFL. He might be out of the NFL because nobody likes him. Will Levis, to me, sounds like Josh Rosen. I'm not sure people are going to want to follow him because you've got to want to follow the guy or it's just not going to work. T.J. Stroud, to me, has it all. And, and Bryce Young sounds fine. Anthony Richardson sounds fine. But to me, C.J. Stroud has it all, including the way he talks and the way he could lead. Greg, I want to end with this, and I'm going back to a column that you wrote. I think it was maybe right after Purdue's season ended to Fairleigh Dickinson. But I believe you said something to the effect of if Zach Eady turns pro, you think Purdue would still be a top-10 team? Is that is that what you said? Am I, am I off base there? No, that's what I said. Oh, no question about it. No question about it. Now, I, I, And I don't think they've lost anybody. They lost Newman in the transfer portal. I think that's about it. Correct. Yeah, added the kid from Southern Illinois. Yeah, I. They're loaded. They're loaded, and and they'll be a different kind of loaded. This past year they were loaded, but because they had Zach Eady, you know, everything went through him. And but they're loaded, and and they had two freshman guards. And granted, Braden Smith and Fletcher Lawyer weren't great against Fairleigh Dickinson, but they, you, you know, you look at their freshman year, the freshman numbers, and they were pretty damn good. And they're both freshmen, and everybody knows the biggest jump you make is when you're freshman and sophomore years. Purdue's loaded, and they got a, some great recruits coming in. I mean, wait till you see Colvin from Heritage. I mean, great. They're, they're loaded. So they're, they're top 10 easy with or without Edie. Indiana, on the other hand, do we make too much of, hey, here's a guy they got from Oregon that was a top five player a year ago that averaged six and five. Was he just simply in a bad spot, or is he coming with all of a sudden like a warranty on it that you wonder if it's about to expire? Yeah, the, the, the numbers the numbers bother me. Um, I mean, I suspect, I mean six and five as a freshman, that's fine. He, he, he'll be fine as a sophomore. He'll make that big jump too. He'll be he'll be fine as a sophomore. And the people that have actually seen it and scouted it say he was the second best player in the portal. So clearly his ceiling, but that's all based on ceilings. Uh, I'm interested in what happened. And what happened was he was fine. He was fine. But they've lost they lost almost everybody. And so far they've brought in a guy who's fine. And, and they'll bring in more. I mean, there's one thing Mike Woodson and his staff will always do is they will, they will bring in talent. Uh, the, the, one of the gifts of, of basketball coaching is can you bring in talent that molds together? And, or, and if you can't do it, do you have a player like Trace Jackson Davis who just makes it happen? So he's got to mold whatever he brings in. He's got to mold it together. And it's going to happen every year. It used to be like Calipari was the one guy in the country that every year was trying to put talent together, every year. And sometimes his talent was so good that they would you know, go undefeated almost. And then sometimes it just fell apart. And that's now with the transfer portal, that's everybody. Everybody's going to try and mold it together. So I, IU's going to have some talent, but they've got to mold it together. Whereas Purdue doesn't have to mold it. That, that's kind of why I think they're top ten without a question, because they're already together. IU is a puzzle. They're going to put it together, and we'll see what happens. I know they're going to be talent. They're going to have great pieces. We'll see how it seals together. All right, Greg, June 15th, is that right? That's what I've been told, June 15th. Somewhere downtown. Is, is there a gym called Crystal House or Crystal something or other? Uh, Crystal House, I'm certainly familiar with, yes, which I, I believe is yeah, philanthropic, right? House, but I, I think there's some sort of gym tied to that or with that name. From what I understand, Big Walk Boxing is fighting them. Like, you can tell how invested I am in this. Gotcha, I don't, okay. It really, it really doesn't matter. Just give me some gloves and let me go hit somebody. Um, it's fine. I don't care who it is, but it's June 15th. And if it really does happen, include, meaning if I really get a guy, you know, close up to my size and whatever uh i think you'll probably <laughs> i'll probably not be shy about this as it, co- as it goes along yeah clearly krista moore house um is what i'm seeing here 
off okay. uh, uh, Tremont Street. You just sucked at Fight Club because the first rule of Fight Club is you don't talk about Fight Club. Oh, he's certainly oh, yeah. talking. <laughs> hey, and I, I will always say this about my ability to box is that I talk a much better game than I fight. I, I can really talk. <laughs> and I'm really good in the bag, but put me in a ring is all different. But I don't care. I have, I have a good time talking about it. It's fun. Greg, thank you for the time this morning. Thanks for having me on, guys. Bye. It's Greg Doyle right there on the Payless Liquors Hotline. Just west of IUPUI. Kristen Moore. House. Somebody said, um, somebody pointed out, they're like, wait a minute, Jake, if you're the same age as Doyle, you could get in the ring with him. Oh. But he said within 10 pounds, right? Got it. Yeah, I forgot about that part. Doyle's like 5'6". I would think there will be some listeners and some readers of Greg that would like to uh, potentially get in the ring with him. That was a good Guns N' Roses song, by the way. Get in the ring. I don't think you can play that, though, Mark, on as a bounce back song. Mm. You'd be amazed what I could do. So is Adam Schefter saying that only one quarterback will go before the Colts? Yes. And here's what's interesting. We should play this clip because I think that I discovered. So Adam Schefter and Dan Orlovsky made a wager with one another about it, and they said the same thing. And I don't think anybody caught the fact that they were saying the same thing. Schefter didn't catch the fact that they were saying the same thing. So nine days before the draft, the biggest NFL insider out there believes just one quarterback in the first three picks. Yes. And then the Colts would take who out of C.J. Stroud, Anthony Richardson, and Will Levis? Probably Stroud, I would think, right? Here's what's interesting. Schefter says... C.J. Stroud dropping is a bit head-scratching. Schefter says, or said... We should just play it. Do we have it? No, I need to find it. I'll, I'll find it for you. Let's um, play it after the check down. Yeah, and I'll play it for you, and we'll see if I'm correct in the fact that they said the same thing. The Morning Checkdown. Omaha! 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 On 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. I will right, we'll play that after the break. First, we'll begin talking about what happened last night in the NBA. Sacramento, 114-106 over Golden State. Kings now lead that series in the West. Two games to love. Domas Sabonis and De'Aaron Fox, 24 points apiece. Malik Monk with 18 for the Kings. Steph Curry did have 28. And Andrew Wiggins, who was back for Golden State, had 22. But the big story, Kevin, was the fact that Draymond Green did Draymond Green things, right? Yeah, and you know you can argue the level of instigation from DeMontis Sabonis, who was on the ground, you know, it looked like at one point had both arms kind of wrapped behind uh, or uh, around Draymond Green's ankle. In typical Green faction, though, um, he took it to another level with a I don't know, stomp. Is that the accurate word to use of DeMontis Sabonis' sternum? Yeah, a Christian Leitner. Um, X-rays negative on Sabonis there. Green was ejected from the game, had plenty of words with Kings fans um, during that whole process into his ejection. I did see late last night, I had to laugh at this, Draymond Green then uh, said he needed an x-ray on his ankle after Sabonis's very light grab around it. Um, again, I don't need to see either player, particularly Green, suspended for Game 3. He would be the one, if, if any, that you would. Suspend for Game 3, but it's a shame that that takes away from the storyline, which is the Kings have won both games 1 and 2, and for the first time in their last 27 playoff series, the Warriors are looking at a 2-0 deficit. Sabonis had 24 last night. The Kings were great in the second quarter, and they uh, take a 2-0 lead. Tonight, we'll have three games in the association. It'll be the Hawks and the Celtics at 7, the Knicks and the Cavs, so the Cavs looking to even that series up 
on their home floor. That's at 7.30, and also looking to do the same will be the Suns and the Clippers tonight at 10 o'clock. Uh, Major League Baseball yesterday was Arizona 6-3 over the St. Louis Cardinals. Notch another win there for Mark Dykton's Diamondbacks. Reds over the Rays, 8-1. How about the Red Legs? Do we have the Kevin Bowen? Yeah, but they've won, so should we still play it? No, I mean, no, no. it's probably one of the few times they're going to win. Honestly, it's such great audio and so pathetic for a Reds fan. You might I'm talking about. Well, the- where are you going to go? Are you going to abandon being a Reds fan? Are you going to abandon following this team? I was oh, meaning, are you? Yeah. Don't look now, but here come the Red oh, Legs, right? Well. Which is deserving. Three of four. That's right. Yeah. I mean, it's perfectly fitting, but Mark is so understandably obsessed with that other audio. Well, yeah, that's. It is Don't great. look now, but here come the red legs. See, Hunter Green <laughs> got hit last night by a ground ball up the middle. I, is it just me, or I feel like we're seeing more players get hit by balls in the face or body this year? Yeah, what? I... <laughs> Mark, go on. Mark, have you not been paying attention? Line drives off players? Uh, yeah, okay. Phrasing. Cubs over the A's 10-1 yesterday, by the way. Indianapolis Indians. Uh, were they off yesterday or were they Idle. postponed? Yeah, Mondays yeah, postponed. are off days in AAA, right? Uh, yeah, and they are in Memphis taking on the Redbirds tonight at 745. Kevin, you need to make like a here come the Oakland A's Boy, I, I'm telling you. Again, this is a very philanthropic uh, team that I've chosen for the they, 2023 season. The Oakland Athletics, though, every year, Every year, they are like the quintessential second-half team. And, it's you know, they win like 18 of 22, and they get in the mix. And then they get into the playoff game and get beat in a play-in game every year. It's biding their time right now. Yeah, I'm going to take your word for it this year, though, Jake. I think I'll stay away from putting any I money mean, down on what that. What are they bet. like so far, like 3 and 30? Three, uh, well, 3 and 14, but yeah, yeah 3 and 30 is I, possible. You just need After to root for one of their starting start. pitchers to have to below like a sub-8 ERA right now. Yeah, not a lot of guys in the rotation that getting that done. Uh, Tony East going to join us at the top of the hour. We come back, though. We'll play some Adam Schefter audio again. Schefter sounds like just one quarterback going in the top three, which you would think that would be terrific news for the Colts in their need at QB. It's a great-looking Tuesday here in Indianapolis. Kevin and Corey on 93.5107.5. Okay, thanks to Greg Doyle for his time. 25 minutes before the hour of 9 o'clock. Tony East going to join us at that time. Yesterday, Adam Schefter on ESPN. And Kevin, to be fair, this is the time of year when, to your point, agents, GMs, etc., are all... Just lie, baby. Yeah, throwing stuff out there, right? Just lie. But Adam Schefter yesterday on ESPN, and I forget the name of the actual program because those guys intermix through a lot of different shows. NFL on ESPN. NFL on ESPN. He was talking about what he thinks could happen at the top of the draft, and Dan Orlovsky then challenged him, which led to both of them suddenly getting into this, like overly excitable challenge and debate of one another on the air and it was like the spider-man gift because they were both saying the exact same thing okay so listen to what happened yesterday here's first off listen to what adam Schefter says because it's interesting about the top of the draft but then listen to arlovsky's challenge and i'll explain what i mean when i say they are actually both speaking the same language here we go there's a chance we might not see a quarterback go at two or even three, and there might not be a team that you trades mean, up because the value in that what? isn't what we thought it would be. So Indianapolis <laughs> may be sitting there with its pick in the litter, Anthony so Richardson or Will Levis or C.J. Stroud. 
That could happen. That's a possibility right now. I'll bet you ten dollars. might be there at four. Very nice oh steakhouse. That some a quarterback, two quarterbacks go in the first four picks. There's no question about it. I bet you ten bucks. Um, this yeah, is what wait, I'll wait, say. Wait, hold on, Dan. What kind of odds? What kind of odds you give me on there? Because I, that's obvious. Everybody's expecting that, right? I'll give you ten to one odds. Done. Ten to one. Ten to one. Ten to one. Ten to one on ten Here, bucks. Here's my done. thing. Here, here's my thing. If you're Indianapolis <laughs> and you're banking on. Houston passing on a quarterback and the Raiders who are sitting there, Which the Seahawks that are sitting there. Okay. The, the Maybe Schefter, I, I think Schefter is the one that realizes that Orlovsky just wagered him the same thing. Orlovsky is saying, Adam, you're wrong. You're sitting here telling me that Indiana, it's going to fall to where Indianapolis is going to have their pick to take the second quarterback in the draft. I, I'm wagering you right now, Adam, that Two players, two quarterbacks are going to go in the top four. And I Schefter's think he meant like, to say top three. Orlovsky. But I, so that's Schefter was basically saying like, okay, I'll make that wager because you're saying what I just said, right? So, but but the point being, Kevin, this goes back to, and I think Schefter probably is going along with what you had pointed out last week. And I remember you said it like off the top of the show about a week ago. You were just like, you know, I got to thinking about something, and I want you to rehash for people. What you said about the Houston Texans at number two and C.J. Stroud. Well, let's start here with the Texans. They have the second pick. They have the 12th pick. They also have two first-round picks next year, and we know that D'Amico Ryans is their new head coach, defensive-minded head coach. Um, as far as the C.J. Stroud-Texans connection, C.J. Stroud represented by David Mulligetta, the same agent that represents Deshaun Watson. If you look at Mulligetta's client list, he's got over – you know, 40-some players, none of them play for the Houston Texans. We know that that relationship between Watson and the McNair family ended very poorly. This was honestly before any of the legal situation around Watson and his departure from Houston. So I think there was some discussion, certainly in Houston, of would Stroud 1,000% be the pick there at number two? Um where I guess I have a bigger question in all of this is since when are there other players in this draft that are being talked about as number two, three, four picks? Like outside of Will Anderson, Jake, I don't think there's ever been discussion that like, oh yeah, Tyree Wilson, this defensive end out of Texas Tech, he deserves to go two or three. You know, Jalen Carter had the off the field stuff. And so that I think has contributed to his But Jalen Carter feels like he's kind of slid back into that top five discussion. I guess we'll see. Um, there's no receiver that's being talked about in right. that light. There's no off. You know, usually you have like the offensive tackle that people view in kind of a top the three. The kid out light. Northwestern. He's not necessarily top five, right? Yeah, I just it doesn't seem like there's this obvious. There isn't the Marvin Harrison Jr. or there isn't the clear cut non quarterback outside of Will Anderson from Alabama that I think is being viewed in that sort of discussion. Where I am a little bit confused by this is. Didn't Adam Schefter last week report that six teams have inquired with the Arizona Cardinals about trading up? Six teams? I would assume some of them were curious about the quarterback market. So now all six of them have seemingly backed off whatever potential trade-up discussions that were there. I I cannot see getting through pick two and three and obviously it'd be great news for the Colts and having C.J. Stroud in particular still on the board at four. It could be, 
that Arizona, it wasn't necessarily, it could be that Arizona just said, no, we're not budging from this pick because perhaps Arizona feels that there are two non-quarterbacks worthy of where they are and maybe maybe Carter's one, I don't know. But if there are two players, Arizona's saying, to get one of those two, we got to stick at three. Because somebody might move into, you know, Houston may go non-quarterback, and then we there's only one of those guys left. we got to stick at three. We can't slide back to eight or ten or whatever. So it, it may be not necessarily that there were no teams interested in moving into that three spot as much as Arizona just wasn't interested in moving out of it. Wasn't. Well, do you feel like this could be Arizona seemingly trying to drive up trade value nine days before the draft? And when they get there on Thursday night, they'll just take whatever's the best offer once they get on the clock? Possibly. Because if CJ Stroud is on the clock at three, won't the trade calls look a little different for Arizona? I'll tell you this. the, the, The winner in all of this, to me, so far, do you know who the winner is in the 2023 NFL draft? Who's that? Mark's Chicago Bears. Because I think the Bears dealt that pick when the value was absolutely at its highest. Maybe the value is still the same because if, in fact, Bryce Young is so far ahead of everybody else that you got to get, you know, maybe people are now realizing he's the only franchise quarterback in the lot. You know, I don't know. But seemingly that the jockeying for position in the top uh, atop the draft or to get a quarterback or whatever else seemed to have been at its peak when they did it we mentioned this earlier in the show if you look at vegas right now they seem to be following a bit of a script of will levis's rising a bit and where he will get selected cj stroud is dropping a bit and where he will be Selected. We're going to have Zach Kiefer on later this week, and I thought Zach did a really nice exercise on The Athletic in that he went back and looked at past Chris Ballard comments related to the quarterback position. I mean, we're talking 2018, 19, 20, 21, to try and find some things that could point to where the Colts might be heading here a week from Thursday. I think that's important because... This is the first offseason where it is ever... I mean, the amount of pressure that Chris Ballard has to take a quarterback in this year's draft is infinitely higher than it was in any of his previous drafts. So, of course, Ballard's a politician. He's going to play smokescreen like no other in all of his public comments here this offseason. And I think if you're looking for a similar on-field trait that both Chris Ballard and Shane Steichen agree on and have publicly stated... It would come down to accuracy. This quote here from the 2020 Combine. So again, this is not when the Colts are looking to take a QB. They'd sign Phillip Rivers. Ballard goes, I still think accuracy is number one. Those are the things you can't teach. It's hard to teach accuracy. Can you get a little better? Yes. Can you get dramatically better? No. Ballard has always added to that sort of quote something to the effect of like at some point you've got to be a quarterback from the pocket like at some point you can't just be a runner and you have to deliver from the pocket and so my question I guess Jake would be this when you hear the accuracy comment in previous years from Ballard that has been the one that Shane Steichen has mentioned the most on the field that's away from Shane talking about how guys are wired 
what would that mean for Anthony Richardson? 54% at Florida. Clearly, when you look at the completion percentage number, which I know is not the end-all, be-all, but that number is a stark contrast from the rest of the QBs that we've talked about. I think that with Richardson, again, I'm going to go back to, and this is for a better eye than than I have, or you know, somebody more nuanced. But how much of Richardson's completion percentage was he was simply missing the target, and how much of it was he had guys that were not in position, or he had receivers that had graduated? You know, I go back to, and I know that it's it's kind of my default, and I apologize for always leaning on it. But Josh Allen, when he came out of Wyoming. There was a huge critique of, man, his accuracy really dropped between his junior and senior year. And it was like, well, yeah, but he also lost like two of his top three receivers. I don't follow Florida football enough to know if that's applicable here. Can accuracy be taught? Or do you do you either have it or you don't? You know what I mean? You know, Shane Steichen said at the combine, he thinks it can be. I Chris Ballard, that comment, clearly, he doesn't think it can be. Um, but if, if there's any sort of on-field trait that I can find that both of them seemingly agree on, it is that accuracy is the most important thing. And so that would be the question that I would have with Richardson. I think Justin brings up a really good point. And at times with C.J. Stroud, this could be thought as nitpicking, but it is a point, Jake, that I was making probably a little bit earlier in the offseason when we were still debating Bryce Young or C.J. Stroud. Justin points this out. Don't you get the impression now that people are realizing what C.J. Stroud had at Ohio State? Teams won't have as good of a receiving core. O-line, completely dominant, gave him all the time, along with a lot of defenses he went up against were subpar. Um, C.J. Stroud, I think more than any of these four quarterbacks, he walked into games with a two- to three-touchdown advantage over the opponent. Um that is frequently the case in the Big Ten season. I mean, hell, even against Notre Dame, they were a couple touchdown favorite in that one. Uh, obviously, the same can't be said for the other three quarterbacks we've talked about all playing in the SEC. But having said that about Stroud, I mean, look what he did against Georgia when the playing field was probably stacked a little bit against him. You know, Marvin Harrison Jr. gets hurt in that game, didn't have Jackson, Jackson Smith in Jigba in that game, his running back was out. You know, there were some other personnel issues around him, and he delivered like like no other. I just, it seems like the Stroud criticism is getting a bit nitpicky for me. I think Stroud. I mean, I mean, I'm a I'm a fan for sure because I think he can. I think he looks poised. He can run. I think he's got a strong arm. I he he. I saw him put the football a lot of places where I'm like, man just just dangerous you know he literally called himself a ball placement specialist at the combine now, I think he's right Mark do you have that. the audio I just sent you I do yeah this is the challenge I'm having here are you familiar with VSIN which no. is a it's a it's a Las Vegas based podcast on sports gambling yeah. it's got I mean it's it's got pretty good traction the problem is and I hate saying this I hate playing this without knowing I'm not certain the name of the gentleman talking here I think this is Matt Brown who is one of their football insiders but they were discussing and I apologize that I don't have the exact name of, of who I can't find it they didn't font him but they were discussing the NFL draft and exactly what you were talking about Kevin in terms of CJ Stroud 
because you were saying in if you look at the Vegas odds, Stroud seems to be sliding, right? And there was some analysis on why perhaps CJ Stroud who was thought to be a certainty in the top two or three picks, might be sliding back. Here you go. Look, I'm not sold C.J. Stroud is going number two. So that's a great question. I have not heard anything with regards to the Texans other than C.J. Stroud. Like, it's just, it's automatic, right? We talk, but we say. But you haven't heard confirmation We say either. who's going to go one, two's going to go quarterback, and then we're going to figure Everybody it out after that. Everybody just assumes that Houston's taking the quarterback. C.J. Stroud's an interesting guy. When you talk to people in the league, They'll tell you C.J. Stroud is not. This is not a knock. This is just a. This is just a conversation. Not an easy guy to coach. Kind of, kind of. You know, okay. you got to be really. It, it, he's very. Uh, I think the word that people use is he's very not believing in what you're saying, and so he's a little bit challenging to coach. So it's not like he comes in and embraces it. It's a little bit. He's got a little bit different style to. Is him. Is that where it's like he thinks he knows better? He type thinks of he a knows situation? a little bit better. Okay. He's, he's probably hard to kick to coach it. Not saying he's not a good player. I'm not saying that at all. I'm just saying the vibe that you get from talking to people that have interviewed him is he's not a, a easy guy to coach. And so what I've done is I've asked people. I said, you know, I've heard C.J. Stroud's not an easy guy to coach. Yeah, and everybody echoes that back to you. So- That's Michael Lombardi actually who is saying that. Interesting. You know, I think when you listen to these guys or when you listen to them at the Combine, you could have spun it in two different directions. And I know Greg Doyle, who we had on earlier, you know, was mentioning how he feels like Levis is is cocky and I forget maybe the exact words that you know, Doyle used. I felt like you could walk away from Stroud, Levis, or Anthony Richardson. And Jake, if you wanted to, you could be like, that dude's got the swagger that I want. That dude's got, you know, I know I'm good. And I'm going to make sure that I'm the best in NFL history. Or you could walk away and say, that dude's cocky as hell. I don't want that guy in my locker room. And I feel like that's just part of the very d- difficult dilemma that you have in sifting through all of that. Uh, all right, Tony East to talk Pacers and the news items yesterday with their draft picks in about 10 minutes. I do like money. Not the song, though. I don't like the song. Do you like that song? That, that's been a um, frequent theme here, Yeah. Mark, today. Hmm. Any? It's tax day. Come on, no. Kev. I'm just thinking of Draymond Green fine coming. Now that could be too. You know, it's but. tax day unless uh, for for someone like yourself as a procrastinator. For most of the civilized world, that was a couple of months ago. Well, now is the that pot kettle today. black? Yeah. Excuse me. Procrastination seems to be something that you know something about, <laughs> Mr. College degree. <laughs> you mean finishing up at the age of fifty doesn't show prompt nature of getting on top of things? A prompt would not be a word that I would use. <laughs> You knew a backflip when you get the uh, maybe determined though the graduation slip. Am I going to do a backflip? Yeah, there's zero. At no point in my life could I have ever done a backflip, but at 22, probably more likely than at 50. Splits then. Now I throw out the back. Oh, there you go. <laughs> Simply that, right? And we are how many credits away? We are nearing, right? Uh, we're two weeks away. Graduation party at Chili's or something? Where are you going? That's right. Two weeks um, away from official. Like we've met the credits. Why did I think there was one more semester to go? No, I graduate, um, what is today, Tuesday, three weeks from tomorrow? Hmm. Two but weeks, you're not walking, is that right? Two weeks from tomorrow? Uh, I'm trying to figure that out. The problem is it's it's during show hours. Oh, you so. got to miss it. You can take a day. I think that's a big deal. Hell yeah. I don't know. Do I take a... I don't Should know. we do the show live from graduation? Why do the show live? I'm not burning You can it. do it for a little bit, and then I got to go stand in line, and then I'll take over. <laughs> Wait, that's well, kind of cool. That's kind of fun. Where is graduation? 
It's in Kokomo because I'm finishing it through online. Like, are we talking the the Wildcats I, the with thing, a K arena? Yeah, where, where are we the talking? The one here? thing that's kind of odd to me, and I I mean I, I beggars can't be choosers, but you know I I went to Indiana University in Bloomington and accumulated I don't know ninety eight hours or whatever it was, and then to finish my degree, some of the classes that I had originally taken. Those credits don't go away, but the like foreign language is one of them. The foreign language that I had taken, I only needed one more semester to complete that requirement, but the foreign language that I had already taken three semesters of is no longer available. So I would have had to have taken two years of a foreign language. So there was a lot of – so my my original English degree was restructured, and I simply finished online through the IU online portal, which is – which my epicenter campus was Kokomo. So technically I'm graduated from Indiana University Kokomo. So I have to go there for the commencement if I go, but it's on it's during the week and it's at ten AM. I mean this in all seriousness. Either we'll do the show from up there, no questions asked, or if that's too much of a, you know, behind the scenes um, endeavor, Mark and I will do the show here and you can call in from from Call while you're walking across the stage. Hold on just a second. Well, we don't want him <laughs> to not you, get the diploma officially. You know, just while you're sitting in the seats in the 9 o'clock hour, give us a ring. Okay. I mean, I, I have no idea he how it works. He has to it's go, been, right, Mark? Yeah. You, you, you have to go, 1,000%. And, and if we're there live, Kevin, I will shotgun beers in your honor. Really? Yeah, sure. Okay. Well, Kev, come on. That's you did fun. it at 8 in the morning a couple <laughs> I mean, weeks ago because the Notre Dame hired a coach. We're here at the commencement where there are two shirtless guys Michael with Shrewsbury headsets eating donuts. is a little different donuts. than Jake Query, if I'm going to be you know, fully honest here. Well, thanks. Uh, coin flip time. Tony East joins us next. All right, May 10th. We're live at the Hip Hugger <laughs> for Jake's graduation. <laughs> My my mom. Uh, I'm sorry. I heard Kevin mention that there, you guys are going to be live. We will right save now. a spot for Karen. No questions asked. I'll make sure that all the leaves are blown out of the parking lot in case it rains the night before. We'll be good. That's right. On that front there, drive up 31 and venture off. And nice, you know, you got a little bit of a different pathway into Kokomo than it used to be. How many tickets are you allotted to the graduation? Have you been told they give you like 10 or something? Or how many? Well, the problem is the... T- the deadline is today to even confirm that I'm in it. I haven't oh, done that. Send yet. it right now. Oh, but right. I'm the procrastinator. Well, the the cost of the gown, I was like, yeah, I don't know. You know, up in your bathroom. I'll lead something. off here with Tony East. So you you send in your 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 confirmation. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, Tony East, si.com, Forbes, Locked On Pacers. Uh, he joins us now. He was busy monitoring heads or tails yesterday with the Pacers and their draft picks. Tony, it's a confusing process. We've brought you on to dumb it down for us here. Let's start with the coin toss that decided where the Pacers will be slotted into the lottery. Do I have this correct? With yesterday's news, they've gained one extra ping pong ball? (laughs) That's exactly right. Yes, that is. I guess that's probably the best thing that happened to them. They have 68 combinations now instead of 67 uh, that they would have had they lost, which I suppose is significant when uh, Victor Wembanyama is the prize. Now, hold on. 68 out of 1,000? 68 out of 1,001. Okay. All right, here we go. I'm going to do a sim lottery. Tony, uh, bear with me here. You ready? Here's the Tankathon sim lottery. We'll see where it puts them. All right. They started out there at seven, right? With the second pick Whoa. in the 2023 wow. NBA mock draft. Could have been that extra ping pong ball. The Indiana Pacers select 
Brandon Miller from the University of Alabama. Wow. You've got the commissioner voice down. Well, yeah, that's yeah. stern. Unfortunately, he's no longer yeah. with us. All right, um, Marcus Sasser, 26th, and Noah Clowney, 29th. So, Tony, sticking with that lottery, they could draft now 1, 2, 3, 4, and then 7 through 11. Is that correct? That is correct, yeah. They could. I mean, the chance they're jumped by four teams is like, I mean, the chance of me running a marathon today. Like, it's, it's, I guess it's possible, but it's not going to happen. Uh, so, yes, 11 is their floor instead of 12. If they lost the coin flip, they could have been 12. Now they cannot be 12, which is good. They can pick seventh now. Uh, if, if no one jumps them from behind and the only teams that jump them are in front of them, they could not have picked. The Wizards can't pick seventh, right? Like, that's pretty significant, especially given where this draft tier's off. And I believe the, the last two years, the, seven, the team with the seventh best odds, including last year, the Kings moving up, which was pretty big. Have jumped up, so if you're if you're into those sort of trends, I suppose that's a good thing for the Pacers, right? But every every superstitious fan will say, well, that means they're due to not jump up this year. So uh, history says good. Uh, gambler's fallacy says bad. Well, double-check me on this, Tony. I think it extends past that. I think it's Kings, Raptors, if I'm not mistaken, the Bulls jumped up to four for Patrick Williams. That's and right, I, that's right. And I think the Pelicans got Zion out of starting originally at seven so yeah you can look at a glass half full or glass half empty um all right so the other coin toss that i wanted to get to and as jake pointed out we know the pacers will be drafting 26 and 29 um the early second rounder as best you can explain how the pacers might draft 32 or might draft 50 yeah uh so that is it's complicated but the simple way to describe it is the, they want the Spurs to have a better first-round pick than the Rockets when the lottery's done, right? That, that's pretty much it. And that's of their own picks because Pacers get the Rockets' second-round pick if it's 32, and if the Rockets' second-round pick is 33, they get the Heat's second-round pick, right? There's, there's some complicated trades that made this the case, but the Heat lost a tiebreaker, ironically, yesterday. Uh, so their second-round pick is 50, and then the Rockets' pick is unknown. But the only reason it's unknown is because they get the better second. Them and the Spurs finish with the same record, so they get the better second round pick if they get the worst first round pick than the Spurs. So uh, the Pacers don't know if they have 32 yet, but it's way better to have 32 than 50. Obviously, like they traded 31 two drafts ago in their package to get Isaiah Jackson. They used 31 last year to get Andrew Nembard. Like that early second's been really kind to them. So getting 32 would of course be way better than having 50 where you're picking you know, a two-way contract guy or a drafting stash at that stage. So they'll be beyond, of course, hoping that they jump up to number one. They will hope lottery night also sees the Spurs move up ahead of the Rockets because the Rockets did win a coin flip over the Spurs yesterday. Okay, so two things to look for on lottery night. Obviously where the Pacers end up and then you want the Spurs to be ahead of the Rockets. If that happens, the Pacers will get 32. If the Rockets are ahead of the Spurs, then they'll get 50. Yes, they, I don't know why th- th- this is it, like it's very confusing just because of the pick protections the Pacers have, but it, it, it's a, it's certainly a unique circumstance. It, it, it's very hard to explain because I feel like we're running a marathon pick. explaining it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm getting there. I'm getting close to accomplishing uh, that task I described that could make the Pacers pick even worse in the first round. So uh, the, the, here we are already. Tony, do you believe wherever the Pacers end up drafting? Two part question. The first is, do you believe that they will actually use all of their picks for themselves? And number two, 
if they do, do you believe the, the whichever one is the first pick that they make, that they will go strictly with best player available, or do they ho- still have very specific needs they have to fill regardless of who's on the board? Yeah, for the first question, you know, Pritchard already kind of alluded to it. I mean, I don't even think he alluded to it. He just straight up said it at his own press conference. He said, I don't want to bring five young you know, young players into this organization this summer. And they have five picks, but they, they can't make five picks. Not only because, you know, if they're trying to make the playoffs, which it sounds like is their goal next season, you know, more rookies are not necessarily significantly helpful to that goal. I mean, you can add in one or two, but if you're adding in and too many, you don't have that, – that's not a roster spot for – a postseason team. So, you know, the phrasing I've always used is like, I haven't said that they're going to pick 26 now. I said they own the 26th pick because, you know, who knows what they end up actually doing with anything, including their first pick, really. But, you know, 26, 29, whatever their seconds are, they, they could end up trading those, trading them for a future pick instead. You know, there's just so many ways it could go because their situation. And they only have three free agents and five draft picks. Like, even if they wanted to make all their picks, they, they, they can't fit them in and as for who they go with you know I, I'm torn on this because it almost seems like they they should be caring more about fit now you know they know what they're good what their team's good at what their key young players are which is guards how they fit together and what they need but at the same time it's like when you're in year two of a rebuild do you really want to be turning away from best player available and you know people look back in five years and go oh well they you know they passed on Scoot Henderson for example because they felt like they already had better guards, and look how awesome he is. You know, I they're they're so early in a rebuild that I guess I'm receptive to both, but I almost feel like fit is more important just because of the infrastructure they already have with Halberton and Matherin. Again, Tony East is with us at T East NBA on Twitter. Terrific job covering the Pacers all season long, and obviously he's got your coverage here with the offseason underway. I thought Kevin Pritchard went out of his way, Tony, whether it was with you guys or with us last week, to like make it clear that they tried to make some big moves at the trade deadline and they will be doing the same here this offseason. My focus is so much draft related but maybe could you fill us in a little bit on like what could a big splash look like non-draft related for the Pacers, given their cap space, given maybe some of the pieces they could move. Yeah, he he said it right after the trade deadline too, right? Their original goals were loftier and more aggressive than what they ended up doing. And look, Rudy Gobert had that trade last summer that really kind of changed, I think, the market a little bit for some of these star trades. I mean, even Dejounte Murray went for three first round picks, and like he's he's good, but is that a guy you want to be tripping all over yourself to get at this stage of a build that level of player for the Pacers? Maybe not. So. That they're hoping, I guess, for a market change. I think the whole league kind of is on that front. But yeah, you know, the aggressiveness of a trade, I think, comes down to some of the stuff we already talked about, which is one, they have so many picks and not enough spots to use them all, and two, they have a lot of players that that maybe aren't necessarily playing or aren't necessarily part of their future, and so consolidating them and into a bigger package or into a bigger salary or into your space, whatever that may be has has a lot of value to them to get something that fits better and and can help them reach their postseason goals next season and look like they were over five games over 500 at the halfway point last year like i bet they felt like they could have done that last season which is why they maybe started chasing it back then so if any good forward or established forward that 
can can play to their identity and defend if he comes available. I mean, you have to think the Pacers are making a million calls. Like you guys asked directly about OG because he's like exactly that type of player, right? He he does exactly all the stuff that the Pacers, in theory, would need from anyone that they acquire who's extremely talented in a trade this summer. So because they have cap space, because they have interesting young guys and a bunch of them, because they have so many picks, like they could theoretically do a million things trade-wise. But to me, it just feels like if there's a really good forward who can defend out there, they're going to try, right? They, they almost have to. Tony, since it is end-of-year grading time, I'm going to give you three grades. I want you to tell me the player that matches each grade most accurately from this season. You ready? Yeah. The three yeah. grades that you have to distribute. One is an A, an excellent job for the season. One is a D because I don't think anybody failed, but one that kind of underperformed and didn't live up to expectation. And one is incomplete. You just don't know yet who they are. Go. Oh, well, my D player maybe is my incomplete player. Um, A, I mean, Hal Burton or Turner get my A's if I'm if I'm the, the teacher of the Pacers class. Like, Halliburton exceeded all expectations, grew into the all-star level player of the Pacers. Hoped he would be one day in the first full season he had with the team and is a foundational piece of their identity. Miles Turner finally, you know, did all the things that he said he could always do, right? He, he actually did them, which is significant. You know, he moved to the five, and he was a scoring from everywhere just perfectly well. His defense was still solid. He, you know, fit the team all together. Like, those two guys get it. They, they, they exceeded expectations. They were wonderful together. The team was 26 and 22 and both played. Now, the other two are tricky. When you, when you said D, the first player I thought of was Chris Duarte, who had a really rough year. But I almost want to give him the incomplete because he missed 36 games and injuries are a significant part of why he had such a rough year between – you know, missing right after he has his best game of the year where he finally starts to gel a little bit. He misses 20-something games, six straight weeks. And that same ankle injury caused him to miss so much in the last month of the season, too. And he had a few moments where it's like, oh, he's starting to fit in, and this whole system's different, his role's different. Um, so maybe he should be the incomplete, and then the D would go to, man, I, there's a, some of the backup bigs, I suppose, uh, were, were behind expectations in terms of Smith, Jackson, and Tice. I suppose. Who, who do you feel like? Uh, Can I give Duarte the D, but I don't know who the incomplete would be. Okay, I'll, I'll take – if you take Duarte off the board, I'll give the D to Jalen Smith. Yeah, that that makes some – I mean, he even said it in the locker room after their Cavs game. Like, he couldn't miss from three last year, and I think that set expectations pretty high for what he could do this year, and he couldn't shoot at all this season. He didn't, didn't work at the four. That experiment was – you know, I, I get why they did that idea, but it didn't work out, so – uh, he's a five, and maybe he's not the shooter they thought he could be. He's just strictly a backup five with decent interior skills. And I think that's probably the D. Tony, when I try and project a starting five, and by the way, Tony East is with us here, a Locked On Pacers SI dot com. When I look at the starting lineup for next season, you know, obviously we'll see what happens. But you know, Tyrese Halliburton, Buddy Heald, Benedict Matherin, is that's kind of my assumption will be the backcourt. The two questions I would have there is, one, that is a pretty ugly defensive-looking backcourt with that trio out there. And then two would be, maybe given the defensive issues, given the age of this player, maybe even given the contract of this player, is Buddy Heald viewed as a slam dunk to be here you know, next season and even beyond? Yeah, I'm surprised. You know, even if he is here, I, I, I don't know if I would 
Penn or Sharpie or whatever him in as a starter. Like they, they brought him off the bench to close the season, right? They were exploring what he could be at that role and Matherin instead as the starter alongside Halliburton. And then they could get more defense in with that opening five, whether that's via Nembard or via, you know, another player that they acquired in free agency. I don't know if they acquire another guard, they're going to have some awkward conversations, certainly about their rotation. But, you know, I would, I would think that, they, they were exploring that because that is their long-term plan is start Ben Matherin and, and bring Buddy Heal off the bench. That, that said, you know, you did mention the, the hard part of this. And this is true to me for every guy in the, on the Pacers in this bill. Like Buddy, Buddy Heal, TJ McConnell, and Daniel Tice only have one fully guaranteed deal left on their contract, all three of them. Uh, McConnell has some partial guarantees two years from now. And they're all 30, 31, whatever, you know, a little older than the rest of the Pacers roster and core. Like, yeah, they, they're good. They make sense on this team. They're good locker room guys. Like None of them are negative assets to the Pacers, but it would make sense if, if the right call came in for the Pacers to move them, just given uh, at some point, just given that they could lose them for nothing at some point or that you know that they're talented but maybe not the, in the perfect age range for this team. So I don't know if they should be tripping all over themselves to trade them as soon as possible, but they're, they're all – you know, they're all potentially guys that won't be around for too much longer, and you always like to give value for those guys. So not only is Heald's starter versus bench part not perfectly concrete, but they have to think about that because of his contract situation. You know, Tony, a couple of years ago with the Pacers, I, I think that they, and I get it, you know, they had Sabonis and Turner both, and I think that they decided they were going to go and try to, to break the mold of the NBA and win by playing a style different than what the rest of the league was playing. And they just realized that didn't work. Do you feel like now when you watch the playoffs and you see the young upstart teams, are the Pacers on the trajectory to be able to play and mold themselves with that same style of play at a competitive level? Yeah, maybe so, right? The the two big thing was weird, too, because part of the league then, when they started doing it, was just like everybody's trying to be the Warriors, right? Everybody was was small, small, small all the time. Whereas now, like, there are some teams in the, uh, you know, uh, uh, this stinks for the Pacers, but there are some teams in the playoffs who do too big, like Minnesota, Cleveland, they, they both play two centers fairly often, like 40 minutes a game. Uh, so, you know, that, it didn't work, obviously, for the Pacers, and those two teams are not doing well right now. But uh, the, the Warriors certainly changed the way teams liked to approach what they were doing for a little bit there. As for the playoffs this year, I think that, what the Pacers need to look at is how fast teams play and, and things like that because even these really fast-paced teams like the Kings and the Warriors aren't playing as fast in the playoffs. It, the game slows down. That's a, that's a trope and a cliche, but it's happening again. And so if you're the Pacers and your identity is that you know, you're one of the five fastest teams in the league and you throw a bunch of passes, which is great, and Tyrese Halburn's great at setting that identity, what's that going to look like when the postseason starts? Right? Can they play a little bit like the Kings where when it slows down, they still look awesome, or even the Warriors, it's slowing down, and they they look good, but not, not as good as the Kings, obviously. They're down 2-0. So I think it's going to be about looking at those teams that play you know, more like them. You know, Grizzlies have a little bit of pace to them. The Lakers do too, for example. And how do they how do they do when things slow down and, and what do they need to, to play well in those situations? And I think, you know, an isolation scorer type, a late possession guy type, really developing is going to be important for them to do that, whether that's Matherin or someone else. Uh, Tony, we'll end with this, an NBA Finals pick from you. Oh, gosh. I mean, these playoffs have been nuts. I would have said the Suns, but they looked really vulnerable. Uh, I'll take the Celtics out of the East uh, and uh, can just 
give me one of the eight West teams. I guess the Nuggets so far, uh, but I think the Celtics are the best team in the league right now. I'm taking the Boston. Would you say that if Giannis was healthy? Um, and the Heat just looked awesome against them. Yeah, you know, I, I picked the Bucks like midway through the season. With so uh, I suppose the Giannis injury matters a little bit, but the Bucks are just they're top five in both offense and defense at their best. Like I think they're just maybe the best team. Again, tomorrow night, uh, they'll try to even up that series. Tonight, you got some home teams trying to do that as well with the Cavs playing at home and the Suns coming up at 10 o'clock. Tony, great stuff. Thanks for dumbing it down for us on the coin toss front. Again, lottery May 16th. You want to watch where the Pacers slot in, either 1 through 4, 7 through 11, and then you want the, I want to make sure I have this right, you want the Spurs ahead of the Rockets, correct? That's right. That's correct. Spurs ahead of the Rockets. Therefore, the Pacers will pick 32 and not 50. Great stuff, Tony. Thank you. And thanks, guys. Uh, Tony East right there on the Payless Liquors Hotline. Bless you a few Thank times. Thank you. By the way, do I need to clarify, Kevin? I don't know how I don't know how much people are aware of this, but people more have started to ask me. I think you guys did, too. Uh, the situation with the IndyCar release yesterday talking about online inappropriate behavior from fans. Yeah. Have the floor. Okay. As I best understand it, for those that are unfamiliar, in IndyCar, there's a smaller team, Hunkos Racing, that has Caleb Eilat, who is a second-year British driver. Very Green cars, right? Correct. Um, and Caleb Eilat's a really talented driver who really exceeded expectation, had a good year last year. This year, that team, which has been a, a real Cinderella story, underdog story of a small team that... that could the same team that knocked Fernando Alonso out of the Indy 500 with Kyle Kaiser? They had Kyla Mylot last year. They added a second car this year with uh, Augustin Canapino, who is a driver from Argentina, who also a uh, very talented young driver. In the race in Long Beach, Augustin Canapino found himself after a caution flag running towards the front of the field. He was in the lead. Part of that was due to the cycle of other people pitting, and he stayed out. But it gave him the lead of the race. And Caleb Eilat, Hunkos Racing, decided to bring in for a pit. When Caleb Eilat blended back out into the race, the green flag had had come back augustin canapino was in the lead calum eilat blended back into the race coming off of pit road directly in front of his teammate but was not up to speed because he was coming back off of pit road as the green flag fell and so it caused canapino on his first laps of leading the race for the first time in his indycar career to have to check up as we call it you know all of a sudden kind of hit the brakes whoa there's a slower car in front of me that allowed and this happened right beneath where i was in turn number six by the time it happened that allowed joseph newgarden to go one way and for that matter kyle kirkwood i think go the other and both of them get around canapino who was not able to lead the totality of the lap a lot of the Argentinian fan base, apparently, as a result of that, took to social media to start not only critiquing, but also, in an online variation, apparently, threatened Caleb Eilat, who then himself publicized it by putting out there, hey, I didn't expect that fans of racing would go to this level of the things that are being said to me. And while I have not seen, and obviously I wouldn't, I don't speak the language or read the language of Spanish that Argentinians would be sending. Um, 
it apparently was to the point where IndyCar felt it necessary to issue a statement encouraging fans to be more inclusive in terms of their support and obviously to alleviate those sorts of things that were said online. So that's what that all is for people that were wondering. So none of this is Pottle Award, Scott Dixon related? I don't believe so. Now, that's not to say, you know, Pottle Award and Scott Dixon got into it on the racetrack. And afterwards, Dixon basically said like, okay, well, if that's how we're going to drive, I guess that's how we're going to drive. And Award said, look, I'm racing. What do you want me to do? But I don't believe, I could be wrong, but I don't believe that it's that. I think it's more the Eilat Canapino situation. Is next week the premiere of the... I forget the exact title of it, 100 Days Until Indy or something. 100 Days to Indy. Um, So next week we get the debut of that? Let me find the exact date. It's on CW and then also on Vice. Um, They ran a premiere of it that people watched and said it was really good. Um, Like in a, I did not attend it. April 27th at 9 o'clock is when, or 10 o'clock Eastern. Ooh. So 10 o'clock Eastern on April 27th on the CW Network, then also on Vice in terms of streaming. Not sure the overlap, but is that very well planned to have that in the middle of round one of the NFL draft? That's a fair question. I'd love to watch but it, but unfortunately I don't think I'll be viewing you, that. You will be able to stream it. Kevin is probably the point there, right? Uh, again, this for, is the behind the scenes, you know, think of correct. the full swing golf, the Netflix, you know, F1 documentary, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, yes, time for a morning check down. The morning check down. Omaha! 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 On 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Uh, last night in the NBA, it was Sacramento 114-106 over Golden State. Draymond Green did not stick around to see the end of it. He was ejected after a scuffle with Domas Sabonis, which truthfully probably was instigated by Sabonis. Yanking on Draymond Green's leg led to a quick stomp from Green. Philadelphia 96-84 over the Brooklyn Nets. Both of those teams, by the way, Sacramento and Philadelphia, lead those two respective series two games to none tonight in the association it's atlanta who will have mike bray on their bench next year that word coming out yesterday uh you're laughing at that i know it's just hilarious to think that mike bray is gonna be coaching the nba next year um atlanta in boston tonight celtics lead one game love it is new york who will try to go up two nothing on cleveland that game in cleveland at 7 30 and the clippers of los angeles in the valley of the sun to take on phoenix that's a 10 o'clock tip the Clippers lead that series one game to none. Do you think Draymond gets suspended or no? I, I would say not. Okay. Keep an eye on that. Uh, Major League Baseball yesterday, kind of a quiet day. Some postponements. You know, Monday's typically a quieter day. Some postponements in the Midwest. The Reds were able to uh, get theirs in with the Rays. And good news for Cincinnati, they win 8-1 in that one. Looks like Hunter Green avoided uh, kind of an ugly-looking play when a hard grounder hit him in the tibia. Uh, he had to exit after, I think it was three or four innings, but all things clear on that front. And the Oakland A's continue to stink at baseball. Mark, congrats to your Cubs on that. Thank you. W- when did it change that we just did interleague so early in the I, year? Well, yeah. it's because they changed the schedule now, so there's not as many division games, so every team plays every team this year. Really? That's the start. So now... Huh. So that's why you're seeing like the White Sox and the and the and the. Uh, Did you Giants say them White Sox? The White Sox and the Giants <laughs> play each other right out of them the gate. Them Southside of White Sox. He's <laughs> in just... the Cubs. So yeah, every team will play every team home and away this. Year. Can we just refer Which is to a them nice as change? Because there'd be years when like you wouldn't see the Yankees and the Cubs play. You'll get to see that this year. Can we just start the calling them the them Cubs. White Sox. Yeah. Huh? 
Them White Sox, can we just call them that from sure. now on? Them White Sox, by They're the way. like garbage anyway. You might as well call them White Sox. They were postponed yesterday due to wind. Yeah. That's an interesting postponement. Is that real? It's too windy. Can't do it. Yeah. Postponed wind, unless Scotty Johnson wrote it down incorrectly. That seems wild to me. Mm-hmm. Um, we should probably mention a little bit more on the mic. You know what the fans said when they postponed the game? For yeah, wind? Well. That blows. In my opinion, that sucked. I'm just saying. On the Mike Bray front, he'll be joining Quinn Snyder's staff next season. Uh, Quinn Snyder, Mike Bray have some history together at Duke. Uh, Quinn Snyder joined the Blue Devils as a player in 87. Mike Bray was there as an assistant. And then when Mike Bray left to go to Delaware in 1995, Quinn Snyder joined Coach K's staff as an assistant. Then I thought TV for Mike Bray, being an NBA assistant at the age of 64 after two decades of college basketball head coaching, sounds pretty awful to me. (laughs) I think it'd be cool, man. Just fly first class, hang out, get to see some different cities, walk around downtown areas. You've got to grind, though. Like, you've got to build scouting reports and do that. Okay. Well, you just... You watch Are you going to pass that off of the uh, interns? Watch a couple minutes of tape, and you're like, all right, listen, we're taking on the Bucks tomorrow. This Giannis guy's pretty good. Let's put a couple guys on him. You imagine if Ronald Norred I'm off to li- Chick-fil-A. Ronald Norred is <laughs> listening to this <laughs> right now in your description of NBA assistants. Oh, I'm not saying that's what he should do. I'm saying at 64, that's what I'd do. Hell, I'd do that at 50. Gardens and Tigers was also postponed due to cold. That's all it says, cold. <laughs> Wait, are these real? Yeah, it's on the MLB website. Cold? It says what was, cold. What was Make the up on April 18th. Wind. Make up on April 18th. Okay, cold. wind I can maybe somewhat see. Cold? Yeah, I mean, you're playing in Detroit in April. I mean, Wait, that's bound to what happen. What do you mean you can kind of see wind? It's How do you think, like, Andre Dawson hit 49 home runs in 87? Wind more than cold than anything. I mean, it's the Windy City. What, are they surprised by this? Yeah, I, I trust me. You know why me. it's called the Windy City, Mark? Why? Do you know what we do on this program? We educate and entertain. Thank you. The Windy City actually became the nickname for Chicago, not because of the wind coming off the lake, but rather because it used to frequently hold political conventions in which people said it was windy with all the hot air that was being mm. thrown around. Mm-hmm. Some of that hot air could have probably say, avoided the postponement yesterday. <laughs> could have used that in Cleveland, yeah. apparently, right? Oftentimes there can be hot air in the studio from 7 <laughs> to 10 a.m. Well, listen, we try to educate and entertain. Uh, pop quiz, 317-239-1070. Give us a call. Uh, we'll do that next. Very manageable today. I think you said that yesterday. Scotty wearing his all of his Reds gear, feeling in a good mood after yesterday's win, I guess, in putting together this pop quiz. That's three of four. Don't look now, but here come the Red Legs. <laughs> uh-huh. I'm confused too, Jake. Why Mark hasn't played that audio? I played it. Well, you just you just did it yourself. I don't want to. What, what's your favorite piece of Reds audio that we have, Mark? Oh well, I have that handy. Are you going to abandon being a Reds fan? Are you going to abandon following this team? Happy opening day, 2022. Three of four. I agree with Mister Castellini with those comments right now. Well, you'll change your tone in 24 hours. <laughs> yes, that's that's very true. Um, boy, I'm looking at the answers, Jake, and I seem to agree until number five, though. You think five is tricky? So this year's Boston yeah, yeah. Bruins regular yeah. season was like one of the greatest ever. That, that's our hockey knowledge for the year, right there. The Boston's Bruins. The Boston Bruins had one of the greatest regular seasons in NHL history. Do you watch the show A Million Little Things? I'm probably uh, the that last show's person still on. It yeah, is. 
my wife gave it a great run, and every time we would watch it, I'd just be like, man, this show, doesn't it just, every time I look over, you're crying. It it was kind it seemed of a bit heavy for me it was kind of an it felt in the beginning kind of like it was trying too hard to knock off this is us and this is us is maybe i'm thinking of this is us this is us was tremendous a million little things kind of lost its way for a while there and now it's which one had mandy Moore? that's this is us and it was really well done a million little things started out equally as good kind of lost its way i think it, this might be the last season it's wrapping up but but those guys are boston bruins fans so I guess they're happy about it. I think it. of Mandy Moore as a singer. Not necessarily an actress. Woo! Yeah, yeah, I would agree. She was really good in that show. Yeah, she was. Outstanding. Um, all right, Jake, number one through eight. Um, I'll go with three. Haven't done three in a while. Three is who, Mark? Tim. Tim. Tim, what's up? How much? How are you guys? Okay, you've called the program before, right, Tim? Yes, sir. Okay. And have you played Get to Know Your Listener? It's a wildly popular segment we do. Get to know your, yes. You have played Get to Know Your Listener? Yes. Were you excited about that? Because you seem overly excitable right now. Yeah, I'm ecstatic, yeah. I mean, honestly, I think Tim is just you know following the baseball rules this year. Pitch clock. Tim, very efficient with his time here. He gets yes. right to the point here. Tim, your favorite baseball team? Cubs. Your favorite Cub of all time? Sandberg. Okay. Uh, your favorite NHL team, Tim? Is that R-Y-N-E for Sandberg? Yes. My wife's from Buffalo, so I guess the Sabres. Oh, that's cool. Know. They oh, just set go. a record, I think, for like longest drought in the NHL without making the playoffs. Yeah, I think so. Or they have the longest drought, I think, in pro sports without making the playoffs. Maybe that's what it is. Is your wife a Bills fan? Oh, yeah. Nice. How Are often you- do you have to go to Buffalo? We went twice last year. Uh, how far a drive, or do you fly it? Eight hours, 20 minutes. Not terrible, right? It's kind of a cool little town, isn't it? Yeah, that's all right. How many Bills games you been to? Road game or like games there? One there, one here. Have you jumped through any tables? (laughs) No, I didn't. I think that was before they started doing that. I think it's a great environment. It's one of my favorite in the NFL. Seven in the morning tailgating. Nobody was jumping through tables. Now, how did you meet your wife? We both lived in Atlanta. Oh, okay. Here we go. All right, Tim, I appreciate you calling in. Um, again, Jake says very manageable pop quiz. Jake, you want to lead us off? Uh, Tim, would you like for me, we'll let Tim pick, dealer's cho- or, well, not dealer's choice, player's choice. Would you like for me, that would be Jake, or for Kevin to lead you off with question number one? Everybody always picks Jake, so I'll pick Kevin. All right, Tim, go Bills. Here we go. Uh, original Yankee Stadium opened 100 years ago today with Babe Ruth hitting the first home run in stadium history in that first game. Who was the Yankees' opponent on April 18th, 1923? Well, he hit a homer off his old team. A, the Red Sox, B, the Tigers, C, the White Sox, or D, the Philadelphia Athletics? Thanks, Jake. Red Sox. See, even though you didn't pick me, Tim, I'm still helping you out here, right? All right, question number two. Former Park Tudor standout Jaron Jackson Jr. is your 2022-2023 season NBA Defensive Player of the Year. At 23 years old, he is the second youngest winner of the Defensive Player of the Year award. Name the only player younger than Jaron Jackson Jr. to win the award in the NBA. Is it Kevin Garnett, Kawhi Leonard, Dwight Howard, or Giannis Atetokounmpo? I'll say Giannis. Mm. I don't think that's right. This guy, mm. I, I will tell you, you this. Sure? This guy was no, magic defensively. 
Yeah, probably Dwight Howard. There you go. All right, number three, name this very multi-purpose. You talk about Mandy Moore, very similar in this realm. Uh, Name the only Indiana Pacer to win the NBA Defensive Player of the Year award. Dale Davis? It's happened in the last 20 years. Oh, 20 years? Um, So that'll take Dale out of it. Yeah. Man. There are there are two names and both would be sufficient. I could totally see one guess here. Um, here's my number, oh. and you give me a call sometime if you ever go to a, a movie or a birthday party. This player once said that to me. Oh. Uh, our test. Okay. Question four. 55 years ago today, the first American Basketball Association final series began. That would be the ABA to me and you. The Pittsburgh Pipers won the inaugural ABA championship, defeating the New Orleans Buccaneers four games to three. One of the players in the 68 ABA finals would later become head coach of the Pacers. He played collegiately at the University of North Carolina. Who was it? Man. Lick. I don't know. One thing I like about Tim is, you know, he gets to the point early on, but then when he gets in the pop quiz mode, you can feel his intensity. <laughs> That's right. I, I can feel the competitive spirit coming out, Tim. Did you say slick? Yeah. All right, number five, Brad Marchand scored his 50th career playoff goal with the Bruins last night. As the Bruins won their Stanley Cup playoff opener against the Florida Panthers, Marchand is just the second player to score 50 or more playoff goals in a Bruins uniform. Who was the first? Neely. Whoa. How did you know that? Holy I heard it this morning. Wow. Do you listen to an NHL podcast to get your Tuesday started? I know nothing about the NHL. I just heard it on something. Gosh, yeah, Cam Neely. Just now, for that, we should give them all five. Tim, I'm only assuming that you heard that prior to 7 a.m., right? I think so, yes. <laughs> don't Good tell answer. us if you're lying, Tim. Good answer. We don't want to know the answer. Uh, uh, Boston Red Sox. <laughs> yeah, great work. Boston Red Sox, correct for question number one. That is correct. Dwight Howard, youngest player to win NBA Defensive Loud Player of the Year. Rod Artest. I think I would have yeah, guessed Jermaine time. O'Neal. On that one. Yeah, that's fair. That's a good guess. Um, Cam Neely was correct. Let's go! How the hell he knew it. But the guy that was later a coach for the Indiana Pacers that I said played collegiately at North Carolina, when he played collegiately at North Carolina, he was a backcourt mate of Donnie Walsh, thus why both of them coached together in Denver and eventually, when Donnie Walsh came to Indiana and needed a head coach, he hired his former college teammate, Larry Brown. You blew it! Larry Brown, the correct answer. Solid run, though, Tim. You Solid. don't get to come back tomorrow. You don't even get a lousy copy of our home game. You're a complete loser. <laughs> that seems harsh. See, um, still with Penny Hardaway? No, I think he was. I think he went there one year. I, I, I know that Larry Brown actually. He's got the longest resume in the history of. He does, and basketball. Larry Brown wanted to try to get on Mike Woodson's staff in Bloomington. He's still, uh, I, I forgot. Assistant coach at the Memphis Tigers. He is. Oh, he so is he is still, still there. Okay. What well, is it like an official? I can't picture Larry Brown like in North Central's Ox Gym, watching kids during the summer. Correct. 
did they list the title mark? It's got to uh, be something. Advisor to the head coach. Yeah, I was going to say. Okay. It's got to be something. He was an assistant uh, in 2021. This past season, he was an advisor. Okay, that means that he sits at home, and when Penny Hardaway has a question, he calls him on the phone. Yeah, so Larry, what do you want? <laughs> Pretty much. I'll never forget his um, his emotion the night of the brawl. That always stands out to when me. When he got on the microphone and yeah. was like yelling at people to go home. And, and you could like feel his emotion. Yeah. I, I like almost in a crying sense. Yeah. I, I could be totally off on that, but that stands out to me. From, the, uh, among the many things that stand out to me from that night. The cross-pollination of the key figures within that those two franchises sure. in that moment is pretty interesting. And one of my favorite moments as a young, you know, I'm a big like atmosphere honoring greats, et cetera, et cetera. I, I love that. I eat that up. I loved when he took the time out in Reggie's final game over there at Banker's Life for an yeah. elongated clap from the home crowd there. Pistons players, you know, came out on the floor for that. Um, and allowed Pacers fans to continue to clap for Reggie. That was always a really cool moment from Larry Brown. All right, uh, we'll do it one final time here, Kevin and Corey. What a great looking Tuesday. Beautiful. Such a roller coaster weather wise. What we had yesterday and Sunday compared to what we had last week into the weekend 81 tomorrow, 82 Thursday. And then I'm seeing a high of 49 on Sunday. Sunday, I'm supposed to go to an outdoor concert. You ever heard of Ellie Golding? Yeah, yes, but how? Uh, I would say pretty famous singer. Um, you know, more so probably for Mark and I's generation. But do you remember Carb? Not Carb Day. You remember the road course race? Probably a half dozen years ago. Just absolutely freezing at IMS. Oh yes, totally. Yep. So that day. We went to the race, my buddy Holton Wishker and I, and then went over to um, White River for Ellie Golding. And What's she, her big song? Probably Anything Could Happen would would probably be. I mean, you, you've definitely heard her. Who does X's and O's? Oh, that's... Um, Sounds similar, but not her. Yeah, that's not her. That's Rob Schneider's daughter, X's and O's, right? Is it really? Yeah. Hmm. Uh, Elden Gold, Ellie Golding just threw up the towel six songs in. Seriously? Said, said it was too cold for a voice, uh, and then we saw her at the Eagle later that night. <laughs> really? So I guess she got some warm mac and cheese, which I don't blame her. Um, got some warm mac and cheese over there, but maybe she could play for, what was it, Mark? The Guardians and the Tigers that yeah. couldn't play yesterday because of cold yeah. weather? Can you look up the, um, who does the X's and O's? Ellie Mark? King, I think is what her Ellie name is. Ellie King, sorry. Yeah, very similar. Now, now look up if her, who her father is. I mean, this from Corey. Cold, question mark? The Reds opening day three years ago was snowing at the yeah, game. Yeah, I, I mean, that is an unusual. And it's not like it was 10 degrees yesterday in Cleveland or Detroit. That's soft. Yeah, uh, her, her father is Rob Schneider. Making copies. Yeah. I always thought Rob Schneider was underrated as a... I thought he was great in Big Daddy. How many people in Hollywood... Rob have their real name. is a stapler. It's from South Park. How many people, what's that? How many yeah. people in Hollywood have their real name? Boy. Well, Vin well, Diesel's you, is his real name, right? You know 20%? The, you know, the Screen Actors Guild, though, you cannot duplicate names. So, like, Michael Keaton, his real name is Michael Douglas. But there was already a Michael Douglas, so he had to be Michael Keaton. You know, that kind of thing. JMV could thrive in Hollywood. 
That's right. There's a that kid from Park Tudor that played the young Luke, the young Anakin Skywalker, I guess. Uh, Jake Lloyd. Oh yeah, he was like my age, Carmel ish. Yeah, Carmel then Park Tudor maybe. And most people don't know, but that's my middle name. So there was a time because when I first got into TV, Ed Sorensen could never figure out if my name was Jay Query or Jake Wary. And I'm like, no, 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 it's a double consonant. So I thought maybe it'd be easier when I go into TV to just be Jake Lloyd. And then that movie came out. And I'm like, yeah, it's a good thing I didn't do that. But neither of your parents call you Jason, right? That is correct. My great aunt was, was the last say, one ever to grandparents, call me. Yeah, I, I could see potentially the generation above. The last two I... people to ever call me by my official birth name were my great aunt Dottie, who I promised her that I would. she's the last person that I would allow to use it, and Mark Boyle. <laughs> no shock there. Who I then said, Mark, um, well, I don't understand why you wouldn't go by that. If, that's the, if that is your name, my name is Jake, but that's not what your ID says. Your ID says your name is otherwise than that so why would you not go by the name that was assigned to you at birth because i'm an adult and i told my great aunt that she would be the last person ever to call me by that and so that's how we're going to be oh okay. i wonder if that's ever gotten to be like an issue for mark boyle and pacers players i could see some players being particularly upset yeah if- i honestly i I've, I've heard i don't know about issue but like well i never understood like if he's that adamant about it why did he call victor oladipo victor it's not his real name uh, is there is it like a, a Nigerian first yes, name for yeah. Victor? Yep. Hmm. Brandon King just texted us, no postponing minor league games for cold. <laughs> and this weather looks awful for Midland, he just sent us. They're up in Michigan, South Bend Cups. Yeah, I am uh, I'm a little dumbfounded by that. <laughs> you just put on like an extra Under Armour layer? Like, that's I mean, so we, we, we see it every year. Like, again, a game at Wrigley, a well, game I mean, at in Great October. American. Sure. Right? I mean, how many times, like you and I were talking about, Kevin, the one drawback of the pitch count is there's a magic and a, and a a charm in October of like the late eighth inning, you know, stressful moment showing the fans where See the breath. I mean, you know, Steve Bartman had his hoodie on, you know, all that, right? Yeah, yeah. seeing their breath and people huddled together wearing the big coats. It's great. Talking about the World Series. Too cold. <laughs> yeah. Play again tomorrow. Tucker Barnhart was on with John yesterday. It's always a fun interview, and and I know we had Tucker on at the start of the year, but just interesting to hear him chat about the rule changes. And Boy, he's a big fan of that Cubs team. Is he? Yeah, big fan of just the players in that locker room and how they get along and all of that. Uh, thank you to Greg Doyle. Thank you to Tony East as well for joining us. Um, tomorrow, a little NBA draft talk. Is that right, Mark? Yep. Yep, Kristen Pete going to join us. Uh, So we'll get into um, some Pacers chatter with that. Enjoy the nice weather. We'll talk to you tomorrow.